Blog Talk Radio. Hello and welcome to Action Radio. This is Greg Penglis coming to you from the historic district of downtown Milton on the banks of the beautiful Blackwater River. And now let's get into Action Radio. Okay, enough uh, fussing around with my seat. <laughs> this is oh, where do I begin today's show? This is is crazy. And so um, I know we have a bunch of folks listening, and, and normally Jessica Rivera is at this time. Normally. I think she did it twice. <laughs> sorry about that, Jessica. No, she'll be back in, uh, in a couple of weeks. But uh, this, I'm, I'm, I bet she's sorry she's missing this day because this is, is, is fascinating with what's going on. Um, and I've got a bunch of things um, that I'll be talking about. And, and I was just thinking right before the show started that so many – uh, other reports are going to be on the tragedies uh, that's happening in in Israel right now. So many of the reports are going to be graphic. They're going to discuss the events. But we don't do that here. Uh, I want to know the whys. And, and so I want to know what's going on here. I want to look far deeper. Uh, and people are like, well, this isn't the right time to talk about this. <laughs> this is exactly the right time to talk about this. So I just wrote down like 30 seconds before the show. Uh, my, my My questions are going to be why? Why did this happen? Why now? Why is this happening now? Who was involved? And more and more, it's Hamas, it's Iran. Uh, I think it goes right back to Barack Obama. I think he has been directly involved in, in this for a long time. Um, you know, so that if you remember the Who song, you know, meet the new boss, same as the old boss. You know, meet the new Hamas, same as the old PLO. Nothing's changed. You know, Israel's been attacked from Gaza for as long as it's been in Israel. Why Israel ever gave up Gaza, I will never know. Why they gave up the Sinai Peninsula, I will never know. Uh, Marco, Marco checks in from the Netherlands. Oh, by the way, Marco, you must be doing a good job. There's many listeners in, in the Netherlands right now as there are in Canada, a much bigger country with a whole lot more people. So, uh, so something, so again, this is, it's all about, uh, it's all about, uh, you know, spreading the word about the show and sharing the show. Marco says, I would start at the beginning. If you start at the end, it will be confusing. Yeah, probably, <laughs> except that there's so many thoughts in my mind, and, and my progression of thoughts has moved so rapidly that I will, uh, uh, I will try to – actually, Bonnie's going to be reporting on this as well uh, as, as the week goes on. She'll be here Wednesday. Um, but, uh, yeah, so let's, let's put out the big questions right now, which are the why, the why now, the who is involved, the how long was this planned, and who knew about it. Those are the big questions. Why? Why now? Who was involved? How long was this planned and who knew about it? And so, so just to explain what you probably most of you already know, that Hamas attacked Israel on a Jewish holiday uh, while there was a huge music festival going on. Uh, I think some people have compared it to the, the Tet Offensive. Uh, and, and why did this happen? You know, why didn't Israel know? And, of course, my question is, how do you know they didn't know? You know, I'm thinking, you know, and I've put up my Facebook things from earlier. Uh, I wrote this maybe a couple hours ago. I was up early this morning. I said, I find it impossible to believe Israel had no idea this was coming. I can't believe they allowed. Uh, uh, I, I Let me start again. Says, I find it impossible to believe Israel had no idea this was coming. I can believe they allowed this to happen to clean out Gaza after Hamas fired first. So if you look through history, a lot of times you'll find that uh, part of getting into a war involves the other side fight, firing first. Pearl Harbor. I absolutely think 
Franklin Delano Roosevelt knew the Japanese were coming. I think they saw them on radar. You know, they, they said, oh, there are planes flying in from uh, from the West Coast. Yeah, well, they've been coming from the East, <laughs> not the Northwest. <laughs> you know, so the Japanese carrier group was in the Northwest. So why would why would planes flying all the way from uh, you know the uh, from the, the west coast of California, you know, low on fuel. Why would they, uh, you know, why would they take a big detour to you know a couple hundred miles away to the northwest of uh, Hawaii and then work their way back in? They wouldn't, uh, especially in peacetime. Anyway, so so this is this is my this is one of those overriding questions we're going to have. Did Israel know this was going to happen? I mean, this is Gaza. It's right next door. They do this all the time. They're always watching these people. Right? Did they? Um, and, and there's some saying it's an intelligence failure. Yeah, I, I would buy that of our CIA. Yeah, they might not have known, but maybe they were told not to know. Maybe they were. Apparently, there was an Iranian spy ring that was just busted last week, which has been uh, heavily influencing uh, all kinds of folks in the U.S. government. So, uh, and, and of course, like I say, you know, I've said this before on many scandals. All roads lead back to Obama. So Obama, you know, is running the country basically right now. Um, I think he and Hillary have divided it up. Hillary does all the KGB operations out of the Department of Justice to make sure that every Republican, every Trump supporter, everybody that she doesn't like uh, is prosecuted to the full extent of, you know, political prisoner gulag status. That's that's what she does. Uh, I believe that uh, Obama is doing everything on the foreign scene. You know, making sure that we surrendered in Afghanistan, giving up $85 billion worth of our weapons, bringing as many Muslims into the country as possible. And I think both of them uh, are, are quite happy that the southern border is completely open and they want to overrun this country the same way Europe has been overrun. And so that's why, that's why I think they divide up the world. So I wrote a bunch of stuff now. And again, uh, for, for more clarity, uh, I've got all my sources, and this is like about 20 right now. 20 different magazine articles uh, or, or news uh, website articles. You go to Action Radio, and on Facebook, we have several groups. We have the Special Investigations Project. We have the International News Group. And, of course, my main page, which is completely censored. So you might as well go to the other groups first. Um, so, so that's where you're going to find the stories. International News Group on Facebook and the, um, the Special Investigations Project. Because they're different things for different reasons, and that's why I put them in different. Uh, that's why I have different groups. So the next thing I wrote, the next thing I found was a quote by Ben Garrison. Now, for those who don't know, Ben Garrison is uh, an amazingly talented, brilliant uh, polit- political cartoonist, and so he he can say in one picture pretty much sums it up. So go to my Facebook page or just go to Ben Garrison, G-A-R-R-I-S-O-N, and you will find a cartoon with uh, Biden and Ob- or I should say Brandon, <laughs> Brandon and Obama you know, shoveling in billions of dollars to this huge gaping mouth of, a, of an Iranian head, you know, and then the, the head reverses and out of it's coming missiles, you know, so the billions go in and the missiles come out. So it, I don't think it's any coincidence that, um, you know, Obama arranged to have $6 billion sent to Iran for six hostages. What, a billion dollars a hostage? <laughs> That's insane. First of all, if it's a hostage exchange, you're already exchanging hostages. Why would you exchange money? Why would you pay Iran to do that instead of just sending in the special forces and take them? You know, I mean, there's so many things that make no sense about this. Here's where it gets really crazy, though. I'm going to try and get Claire Lopez back. Now, Claire Lopez is a former CIA. Uh, she's one of the good guys. <laughs> well, girls. <laughs> um, Claire is a Middle East expert, and she's the one that told us in great detail how it was Iran that put together the 9-11 operation. Now, everybody blames Saudi Arabia, but those are Saudi pilots. You don't think Iran's going to use their own country, you know, do you, <laughs> for an operation? That, no, of course not. So that's part of the cover, right? So she is absolutely convinced 
and had all kinds of evidence that Iran put this together, which makes sense. That's what Iran does. Iran's been sponsoring terrorism in the United States for, for decades. Uh, I would think that probably some of the old, uh, airline hostage, uh, the airline hijackings, you know, going back to the 70s, you know, uh, you know, probably in the 80s, too. So as long, you know, until the Shah was, was kicked out and uh, Khomeini, you know, was, was installed as, as the, uh, the Ayatollah uh, that ran Iran. So Iran's been doing this for a long time. Iran funds Hamas. They fund ISIS. They fund all these terrorist groups. Well, they've got to get money from somewhere. Who's giving them all the money? Democrats. You know, who, who gave uh, North Korea uh, nuclear weapons technology. Bill Clinton did in the form of, you know, peaceful, you know, uh, nuclear power generators. So, so we give all, all the information away. You know, the Rosenbergs gave the atomic bomb to Russia after World War II. The Clintons gave uh, nuclear technology to North Korea uh, in the Middle East. Um, Obama has given Iran billions of dollars and done everything possible to give them an atomic, you know, nuclear bomb. Because, uh, and I was watching this in the news this morning, that many people believe. And these are, Newsmax was actually pretty good, uh, except for the idiots that were talking about how Russia is behind this. But there's always those. You've got the, you've got the propagandists. But they were talking about how the, the left, uh, Obama, uh, they really believe that Iran should have the power in the Middle East. They believe that Iran is, is the, the center of, of what should be you know, their peaceful existence. Uh, they hate Israel. Uh, and they hate the fact that Trump had the Abraham Accords. And a lot of people think that this was uh, in response to the Abraham Accords. I'm not convinced of that. I think just Hamas just hates Israel. And this was about doing what Hamas does all the time, uh, except this is a much larger scale. So there's nothing new about this attack. Uh, the only thing that's new is the size of it. But the fact that uh, Hamas has been sending missiles, and I've got several reports on this, Hamas has been firing missiles from the Gaza Strip into Israel for a long time, probably as long as there's been a Hamas. Which is, that's an that's an acronym for some whatever it is. So don't get it confused with Hamas. Okay, Hamas is a different thing. That was actually in a movie once. It was a joke. You've confused Hamas with Hamas. But this is but the so anyway. Back to my theory is that Claire thinks that Iran was involved in 9/11. So now my question is, I'm going to see if I can get her to answer this. Well, if Obama has been involved in Hamas, which he has, if Obama has been involved in the Muslim Brotherhood, which dominated Egypt, which Egypt absolutely hated. I think they. Uh, um, either they took him out and shot him or, or get rid of him or something like that. Uh, Morsi, Robert Morsi and then the Muslim Brotherhood, which had great access to Obama's White House. All right. So my next question is going tracing this further and further back. Did Obama work at all with Iran on 9-11? Wouldn't surprise me. OK, so now we're now we're deep into uh, what some people would call conspiracy theories. What we call here at Action Radio is simply an ongoing investigation. So let me get back to my, my list of things to talk about here. So we're gonna, this is going to be going on all week, uh, maybe for several weeks. I don't know. You know, there's a war. You know, Israel has declared war. And what has the branded insurrection done? Nothing. They're calling for a ceasefire. I, I'm calling for Israel to take Gaza, take the West Bank, take the Golan Heights, think about taking the Sinai Peninsula, getting the, you know, uh, getting their, and that's land for peace. Okay, so my program of land for peace is you take the land back and you get peace. They take Gaza back, clean that place out, and give the, the folks there a choice. Either become uh, residents uh, under the Israeli government, you know, lawful, loyal residents, and maybe even, uh, you know, work on citizenship for some, or get the hell out. And to get the hell out place is Jordan. So what I was reading over the weekend is that, first of all, Palestine is not a state. There's no such thing. Uh, this land was the Ottoman Empire uh, before World War I. 
and uh, basically the Ottomans are Turks. And so they controlled this whole region. They controlled the whole Middle East. Well, World War I changed all the boundaries. And France uh, created Syria and uh, Lebanon. And British, you know, kind of created Israel and uh, Palestine. So they just made these things up. They just, and Iraq. And, and they, just, they just made up maps. They just drew lines on a map and said, okay, we're going to call this this. So Iraq is like Sunni, Shia, and Kurd. <laughs> Not a good combination, right? Uh, but they just made these arbitrary boundaries. And they've totally screwed up the Middle East. But there is, no, there is no Palestinian people. They're from Jordan. And so I think it's Hashemites is what Claire Lopez called them. So, so, the, so the idea of a Palestinian state is insane. There is no Palestinian state. So there's only a one-state solution, and the one state is Israel. So Israel needs to take this land. You know, the, the West Bank, Jordan's a huge country compared to Israel. So Jordan can, can give up the West Bank. Was, the West Bank was supposed to be Israeli anyway, I think, for, if you remember the original UN Accords. So now is the time for Israel to take back land and get peace, because you're never going to get peace with Hamas and Gaza. They're just, they've got tunnels. The, the, the border is terrible. Uh, they never should have fought with this. But this is what leftists do. So Israel under leftists has tried to appease. We'll give you a little bit more land. We'll get more peace. No, the only thing it does is give more of Israel, a piece of Israel, to, uh, uh, to the terrorists, to the, to the terrorist governments. I hesitate to say Arabs because that's, that's too general. Uh, for what's going on there. So, and the other thing is the Abraham Accords. So Trump had actually done some amazing things bringing Saudi Arabia and Israel together, which Iran hates, because Iran hates us anyway. Uh, so Iran does not want Israel and Saudi Arabia uniting, because now you have an oil-rich country with a whole bunch of money and a whole bunch of land uh, and lots of uh, military uh, uniting with Israel, the Jewish state, and so, uh, which has you know, nuclear weapons most likely, but uh, uh, they don't need them in this case. Uh, and speaking of which, why are we sending a carrier task force? Shouldn't we be sending special forces? How about Army Rangers? Uh, you know, Navy SEALs. That's who should be there. Why are we sending a carrier force? This is a, this is a naval war. You know, I, I, I don't see our fighters. I don't see FAA-18, FAA, that's fighter attack. You know, I don't see F-18s, uh, you know, bombing and uh, strafing and uh, sending missiles into Gaza. I don't see that. I don't see Obama ever allowing that, you know. So, and why do I keep referring to Obama? Because he's in charge, all right? This, this has Obama written all over it, from the Muslim Brotherhood to Hamas to everything else. This has Obama all over it. And that's why I say so. So, I, you know, in fact, I was, I was calling, I was thinking about this over the weekend, too, that real journalists, conservative journalists, should not even bother with the White House press conference. They should just leave. They're like, we're not going to talk to anybody but Obama. So bring him here. And if they're not, it's like, well, we'll just leave. Just leave it to the liberals. Just, just leave, the, leave the, the thing and start holding you know, press conferences about Obama in absentia. So we're gonna, you know, if Obama were here, this is what we'd ask him. Okay? So these people have no creativity. They, they have nothing. They don't think. Uh, but that's, that's part of the problem. So, again, I'm rambling, but this is kind of how I try and uh, tie things together. And, again, the articles, the details, all the evidence for, for where these you know, uh, random thoughts I'm coming from are all over our Facebook pages. All right, so let's start, let's start with uh, a quote from Ben Garrison. Again, Ben Garrison is the, the cartoonist I just talked about. He said this. He said, Israel was attacked by Hamas, who, funded, uh, who was funded by Iran. So who funded Iran? So let me say that again. Israel was attacked by Hamas, who was funded by Iran. So who funded Iran? Well, we know the answer to that question, right? But here's what Ben Garrison says. He says, the Iranian-backed Hamas conducted a surprise attack with sophisticated equipment, Biden and Obama made sure Iran was paid billions of dollars. 
which most likely was spent on weapons of war. No kidding. First, Obama paid ransom to the tune of $400 million to Iran. Then he illegally sent another $1.7 billion in cash to the mullahs running the show there, and he faced no consequences for his actions. Democrats can do as they please, and that's in parentheses. Then he says, now Biden wants to send even more money to Iran. They will use that to help fund proxy wars using their terrorist surrogates such as Hezbollah and Hamas. Now, Hezbollah seems a little quiet on, on here, too. This is another reason I need to get um, Claire on the show. Uh, Hezbollah, another terrorist group funded by Iran uh, to destroy Israel. Then he says the attack helped Iran in another way. The mullahs wanted to stop the Abraham Accords Declaration, that's what I talked about a minute ago, which would help normalize relations between Saudi Arabia and Israel. It appears that deal is off for now. I think it's just postponed. I think Trump's going to bring it back. But it wasn't just uh, um, Saudi Arabia. It was a bunch of places, Bahrain, Morocco, um, different, uh, United Arab Emirates. There were a bunch of countries that were signing on to this. Uh, I don't think Qatar has signed on to it yet because apparently uh, the, the, the leaders of uh, Hamas are, are happily sitting in Qatar, you know, clear of the fighting. Big surprise. All right, what else have I got here? Random thoughts. Uh, where was the CIA and the State Department? Okay, where were they? Well, this is why do they why do they even have Middle East branches? They should all be fired in both departments. And I agree. Uh, well, of course I wrote it. Of course I agree. Um, this is what they need. So where's the CIA? Where's the State Department? Where's the the National Security Council? Where's the NSA, the National Security Administration? Where's the National Reconnaissance Office? Are they so busy spying on Americans that they're not looking around the rest of the world, which is where they're supposed to be looking? And what about the war in Ukraine? <laughs> okay, so that's not the headlines right now, and that's going to be off for a while. So all of a sudden, um, Zelensky's going to find that nobody cares about his country anymore, that uh, this is serious. This is, the, this is, this is a war uh, for, for an ally. Ukraine's not an ally. Uh, they want it to be, but it's not. And so... Uh, doesn't mean they should be destroyed, but uh, that 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 should have been, that could have easily have been avoided. Now the question is, could this have been avoided? So if Israel knew this was coming, they had several options. They could destroy the tunnels, invade, do a preemptive attack. Well, then the world would condemn them because you know they would look bad. They could have um, done what they did, waited for the attack, and then gone in and done exactly what they wanted to do anyway. I think that's more likely. I think Israel knew about this. I think that uh, they wanted them to fire first as a pretense so they could go in and clean out Gaza. I think uh, Bibi Benjamin Netanyahu said as much a little bit ago. I'll look for that as I as I look through my stories. So that's the thing. And it says and then I wrote here what I wrote before. Uh, oh, random. That was the first one. Um, you know. So here's the question too. Apparently there are briefings going on. Uh, I heard a story that uh, Hakeem Jeffries got briefed on this, but the Republicans didn't. Hakeem Jeffries is the head of the Democrats. Uh, and I think they were listening to Newsmax on this, and they said, uh, well, it was uh, too much trouble. The Republicans don't have a speaker yet. <laughs> oh, that's your excuse? I don't think so. Uh, the next, so I think uh, Obama was, was the one who probably briefed Hakeem Jeffries. So what did he know? When did he know it? So what Congress really needs to do with the new speaker is haul in Obama and investigate all his ties to the Muslim Brotherhood, Hamas, and Iran. That's what they need to do. They won't, but that's what they need to do. Next one I wrote, previous response in 2021 from Brandon to another Hamas attack. Okay, so this comes from, um, it was military news, military news report. I, I should have put that down here. I'll find it. It's on my, my many reports, but it's a, uh, American, there's American military news. So American military news had an article um, in 2021 about another Hamas attack. And this is where I, I saw that there are patterns. So Hamas has been attacking Israel from Gaza for years. 
That's why this is, I think the only surprise here is not the fact that it's an attack on Israel. I think it's the size of the attack on Israel that has everybody kind of stunned, but now it's war. So, so this is back in 2021. The article says Saki, that was Jin Psaki, uh, said U.S. officials have spoken, quote, candidly with their Israeli counterparts. And here's the quote about how evictions of Palestinian families who have lived for years, sometimes decades in their homes. That's the excuse for illegal aliens, right? Sometimes decades in their homes and the demolitions of these homes work against our common interests in achieving a solution to the conflict. In other words, Israel, leave Israeli land alone, give it to the Palestinians who don't exist as a country, uh, and uh, because, you know, they've been there for years. (laughs) Well, Israel's been there for years, too. I think several thousand. (laughs) How old is Jerusalem? 2,000 years old? 3,000 years old? I'm not sure. It's old. Uh, I'd love to go there. Anyway, maybe not today. A little busy right now with uh, what's going on there, uh, but anyway, think about that. So her response, and this has been the, apparently there was a uh, a press release that was sent out immediately by the Brandon Insurrection, which called for a ceasefire, which called for a compassion, which called for a negotiation, and all kinds of other stuff, and they quickly withdrew that, realizing that they sounded like complete idiots. Now that's what they think, but they didn't want anybody to know that, and so this is a this is a typical quote. So when Hamas sends missiles into civilian apartment buildings and houses in Israel, the response of the, of the left under Obama and then Saki is, how about evictions of Palestinian families who have lived for years, sometimes decades in their homes, and the demolitions of these homes work against our common interests in achieving a solution to the conflict? This is the so-called two-state solution. So in other words, Israel gives up Gaza, gives up the West Bank, gives up the Golan, gives up the Sinai, gives up, basically just gives up everything. You know, and that's and, and they create a Palestinian state when there already is a state. It's called Jordan. You know, and there are a bunch of places that uh, the folks can go. They don't have to go to Israel. The only reason that uh, uh, Arabs are going to Israel is to destroy Israel. Now, there are a lot of Israeli Arabs, which is quite interesting. So it, it, it's complex. It's, it's not as simple as you might think. Anyway, so then I wrote, so then I talked about something I mentioned earlier. You know the Who song? <clears throat> Meet the new Hamas, same as the old PLO. One objective, the annihilation of Israel. So this proves, so this is, this is just a glaring slap in the face to everybody who forgets that the main goal of Hamas, of Hezbollah, of Iran, is to destroy Israel. I think people get tired of hearing it. They think, oh, no, they can't really be doing that. This is some, like, denial going on. They don't really want to destroy Israel. Yeah, they do. <laughs> you know, and this is pretty glaring evidence. So all these, uh, you know, all these Israel de- deniers, you know, uh, these, these Arab supporters, it's like, uh, folks, again, I shouldn't say Arab. I've got to figure another collective word. But, uh, but Iran, basically, is a problem here. So here's another question. So why are we sending a carrier group? <laughs> so so the, uh, the Gerald R. Ford, which is a particularly do-nothing president, except he did have the Mayaguez incident, which is interesting. He rescued a bunch of people uh, from a ship that I think North Korea was holding, um, the Mayaguez. And so he sent in the rescue teams and got the people out. And he did a good job there. You know, we had another ship that was captured, the Pueblo. Uh, much earlier, which was not rescued. And, of course, that had all kinds of other problems. I think it was John's administration. Okay, so we're sending a carrier group. What are they going to do? You know, uh, then there's some other Air Force unit that's going to keep Iran out of the conflict. Well, that would be interesting. We're we're funding Iran so they can start the conflict, and we're going to send in a few jets to make sure they're not in the conflict. That's funny. So then I wrote, Obama loves Iran and funds them with billions so they can fund Hamas and other terrorist groups. So it's kind of like, like terrorist money laundering. Does that make sense? I just made up that term. So terrorist money laundering is when Obama sends money to Iran so Iran can send money to Hamas, but Obama's not sending money directly to Hamas, even though he'd like to. 
Um, and so they kind of launder it through Iran. And then Iran says, we're not spending this on terrorist attacks. Then they say, well, we, we can spend the money anywhere we want. So, yeah. Huh. Okay, so I got that covered. That special forces. Yeah, we should be sending our special forces. Army Rangers and Navy SEALs. You want to do some good there? Send Army Rangers and Navy SEALs to get out the hostages, to work with the Israelis, to kill the terrorists. And basically, they need to reoccupy Gaza and then make it uh, part of Israel. Just, just don't even have it as a separate designation. Just It's, it's, it's Israel. Huh. Now, here's another point I made. Israel appears to have a pretty good response ready to go. Now, I know they make contingencies. Israel has contingencies for everything, right? Um, then I wrote, not sure why they didn't see it coming, or did they? Yeah, I think they did. Again, I think they uh, let this happen in order to justify the, the, the taking back of Gaza. So in other words, some civilians were killed with the, uh, with the purpose of, of saving you know, millions more you know, by uh, taking the land that uh, is being used to attack them. So they did have a pretty good response ready to go. It, it, the retaliation was immediate. You know, so if this was a surprise attack and caught them totally off guard, they'd have to gear up, they'd have to plan, they'd have to, uh, you know, get missiles ready. But apparently the, the, the tanks and the soldiers and the missiles already went. So that was fast. So they, they were all set for this. And maybe they're all set for this all the time anyway. I don't know. But it seems like uh, this response was ready to go. Anyway, the other problem is leftists have weakened Israel. Land for peace just makes enemies want more land. Yeah, Israel had a problem. Now, it's interesting this happened under Benjamin Netanyahu. Unless it was planned to happen anyway. But the Israeli left is as bad as our left. Oh, land for peace. We just want, you know, they, they, they don't want to hurt us. They just, they just want some land for their families. Yeah, right. Two-state solution. That's out the window. <laughs> That's gone. Again, because there is only one uh, state. I think I'm repeating myself. I think I've pretty much covered all this. Uh, yep, yep, looks like I got that going. Um, choo, 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 choo. This Iranian firing sounds interesting, too. All right. So let's go back. Let's, uh, let me take a quick break, and I'll, I'll start uh, with some, some background uh, in all this. But you basically got uh, – yeah. oh, I wonder what the presidential goobers are going to say about this on the Republican side. Don't they have a debate coming up? Uh, oh, here's another one too. The meeting between Trump and the GOP tomorrow. You know, It was about him being speaker, but now what are they going to do? <laughs> it's going to be interesting to see uh, if, uh, if this comes – now, what if Trump becomes speaker at this time? and authorizes a whole bunch of money to Israel and soldiers and everything else. Is the Senate going to go along with it? What's Brandon going to do? I don't know. This is going to get, this could get really interesting. Jim Jordan, same thing. Uh, but again, the other one, the long one is, is there a connection between, oh, I know there's a connection between Obama and Iran, but does it go by, as far back as 9-11? But that's where it gets interesting. Okay, so the time is 7.26. That's my opening statement, <laughs> kind of summing it all up. Let's, let's go back and his marker request start at the beginning, and I'll see what I can tell you. And we'll get this going. Here is your Action Radio contact and website information. The call in line is 215-383-3832. Our show site is blogtalkradio.com slash citizenaction. Same link, live and a podcast. Please share all our shows. We have live chat at the bottom of the broadcast page available worldwide. Sign in to your free account and type away. We have an internet Skype line where you can call the show worldwide also. Please see the broadcast page for our Skype name. Call in during the show to get approved. Our bill writing site is writeyourlaws.com. W-R-I-T-E-Y-O-U-R 
L-A-W-S, WriteYourLaws.com. This is where anyone can write a bill and start the process of it becoming law. My paid and free subscription column is at gregpenglis.substack.com. Please consider a paid subscription of $5 per month or greater. For contributions to Action Radio, please go to givesendgo.com slash actionradio. We have over 20 Action Radio Facebook groups. Use the Facebook search window by putting in Action Radio to find our groups. My public email is greg at writeyourlaws.com. Please contact me about advertising on Action Radio and helping our mission of freedom. Thank you for listening. Greg Penglis here for my book, The Complete Guide to Flight Instruction. Everyone at some point in their life wants to learn how to fly. Few try. Even fewer go on to get a license. I believe a major reason for that is how we teach people how to fly. My book is designed to help you navigate the flight training system, but it's so much more than that. It really describes an entirely new way to teach flying. So if you've never tried a lesson or got discouraged in your training and quit for any reason, this book can help you. Don't be a rope pilot who just follows procedures. Be a thinking pilot who makes great decisions, who understands all the reasons why we do what we do. You can incorporate these principles into your own flight training at any time. The Complete Guide to Flight Instruction is featured on the Action Radio with Greg Pankless Facebook page and is available from Amazon.com. Action Radio, part of the ADHD Radio Network, the ultimate free speech zone. We the people give our consent to be governed through writing the laws by which we are governed and have the power through juries to nullify the laws by which we do not consent to be governed. At Action Radio, we don't report the news. We are the news. Every other show reports what has happened. We talk about what can happen. From the questions no one has thought to ask, to the answers no one has thought to consider, to the actions no one has dared to take. That is Action Radio. Of course, I have some wonderful folks that are sending me all kinds of information on this. It's really kind of interesting. Uh, again, the factual stuff, yeah, that's nice. Um, I, I'm seeing that too, but uh, I, I like the, the things that are more analytical and interesting. A lot of times, it's good to, to read things that were written a while ago uh, in, in a more dispassionate time, not when something's coming out, because the, what, what's the first casualty of war is truth. So Business Insider, let's go to Business Insider. This is something October 7th, 2023. So this is new, but it's, uh, and it's, uh, it's, it's during, you know, when I'll start, I think it's like Friday or Saturday. Um, but uh, the title is, What is Hamas? So as Marco says, well, let's, let's tell the story. So we've got a little, some bullet points here. Hamas launched an unprecedented attack on Israel by air, land, and sea on Saturday. And so this would have been, this is written on the 7th, which I think was Saturday. Yeah, that was Saturday. So this is written the same day. Uh, and then it says, the Milton Group has ruled the top Gaza Strip since winning local elections in 2006. Well, you would think that if they've been there since 2006, you know, attacking Israel, that attacking 
deal in a big way would not be a big surprise. Then it says the U.S. designated Hamas a foreign terrorist organization in 1997. Really? That would have been, let me see, Clinton was 92 to 2000, then uh, Bush the Younger took over. Yeah, it was during Clinton's time. Okay, good. So, so they knew. So, so, this, so why are we giving them all the money? Why are we giving money to Iran give to Hamas if they're a terrorist group? Uh, and we know that they've been... Uh, you know, uh, ruling Gaza. So why is why is why is Hamas a terrorist group ruling Gaza instead of Israel? That's a big question. Article. Let me see if I can get you an author here. Let's quote our sources, as we always like to do. Kenneth Niemeyer, N I E M E Y E R, October seventh, twenty twenty three. Business Insider says Hamas. Would that be Hamas? A Palestinian political and military organization that governs the Gaza Strip. No, oh, remember the PLO, Yasser Arafat. They, so, so my, my, I can figure out how PLO morphed into Hamas. Unless they killed him, I don't know. <laughs> it seems to be the way things go sometimes. So, how did the PLO morph? I'm just make a little note to myself. PLO to Hamas. I'll, I'll have that for you tomorrow. Or, oh boy, we're going to submit this reports this week. All right, so there we go. Launched a wave of unprecedented attacks on Israel on Saturday. Well, they're not unprecedented. See, that's the that's the crazy part. They're very precedented. In fact, there's this precedent all the way back to when Hamas took over Gaza. Anyway, it says at least 70 people in Israel so far have been killed and more than 900 injured since the attacks began. Remember, this is Saturday. Uh, the attacks went through Saturday, Sunday, and probably today as well. So this is an early death toll. Now it's hundreds. Anyway, that's according to Israeli authorities. Israeli Prime Minister Benjamin Bibi, Bibi Bibi, Benjamin Netanyahu said in a statement Saturday that Israel was in a state of war and promised an unprecedented retaliation. So wait a minute. So, 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 so that was pretty fast. They declared war. Usually when you get terrorist attacks, they don't declare war. He declared war. So this is why I think they knew this was coming. And so, you know, I mean, yes, we declared war after Pearl Harbor, but, they'd, uh, you know, it was the next day. <laughs> Same day. So, so this attack starts. It's still underway, and he declares war. That, to me, is interesting. So it must mean they knew it was coming, and they knew they're going to have massive retaliation. And once they declare a state of war, then all bets are off. Then uh, BB becomes, you know, commander-in-chief, uh, like supposed to happen in this country with a declaration of war. You know, the president is not commander-in-chief and, until a declaration of war has been issued by Congress. I wrote about that in one of my gregpenglis.substack.com articles. You can look it up. So he says a state of war and promise unprecedented retaliation. Well, that's generally what happens in war. <laughs> okay. I'm not, not, I'm not trying to make light of this. It's just interesting. Then it says that retaliation has already begun. Yeah. So now did the, the retaliation begin before he declared a state of war or after? I don't know. Anyway, it says Israeli airstrikes on the densely populated Gaza Strip leveled a high-rise apartment building on Saturday, and the Palestinian health ministry said more than 200 Palestinians have so far been killed. Well, see, remember, they use human shields. So what they'll do is put all their military leaders, you know, in like a nursing home or an elementary school or daycare center. That's, that's where uh, that's usually those are called human shields. So in other words, if you're going to kill the Palestinian leaders, you're also going to kill, you know, grandma. Anyway, it says, what is Hamas? So here we go. Hamas is a designated, has, is designated as a terrorist organization by the United States and the European Union due to repeated armed attacks inside Israel by means of suicide bombings and rocket attacks, among other methods. Gee, so now they just have, uh, so where did they get all these missiles from? You know, so, so car bombs are relatively cheap. You, you drive a car in, it explodes, and the driver's killed. And, you know, that's a suicide bomb, right? Rocket attacks, they just fire a rocket. But rockets are expensive. 
So all of a sudden they have, but they've got $6 billion. Now, it's no coincidence that they got $6 billion a couple of weeks ago, and this attack started. So they must have been shopping on the weapons market. Then it says, Hamas is an acronym for Harakat al-Mukawama al-Islamiyah, which probably means the death to Israel, <laughs> is what I'm guessing it means. Oh, so, so there we go. So Hamas. Harakat al-Mukawama al-Islamiyah. That's, uh, okay, that's, that's Islam. All right, there we go. Then it says, it was founded by Sheikh Ahmed, Ahmed Yassin, a Palestinian religious leader, <laughs> some religion, who became an activist in the Muslim Brotherhood. Ooh, we've heard that name before, Obama, Muslim Brotherhood. See, connections are already starting. Yassin created Hamas as the Muslim Brotherhood's political arm in Gaza in 1987. Oh, that's the year George Bush the Elder uh, started taking... What a coincidence. I just find these things interesting. That's according to the Council on Foreign Relations, a Washington-based think tank, or as we would call it, part of the world government, uh, you know, dominating globalist you know, World Economic Forum, those folks. Council on Foreign Relations, that, by the way, is where, where Brandon was speaking when he said uh, uh, to the, the, to the uh, Ukrainians, you know, unless you fire the prosecutor, you aren't getting the money. And uh, he, then they said, uh, well, you're not the president. He says, call him. <laughs> you know, you aren't getting the money. So that was at the Council of Foreign Relations. If you, and, and how do I know? It was on the wall behind him. Come on, folks. <laughs> you know, keep, keep your eyes open. Anyway, so it's not a Washington-based think tank. It's part of the globalist government. That's what the Council on Foreign Relations is. CFR, you know, along with some of the other folks, you know, the Bilderbergers, Illuminati, depending on how much you go in for that stuff. I think what they do is pretty obvious because you read any of their material. It's pure globalist propaganda. It's really kind of funny, actually. So great source to quote. Anyway, it says Hamas published a charter in 1958 that included a call to obliterate the state of Israel and to install a new Islamic society. What a prize. So the charter. The founding document, the, the Declaration of Independence and the Constitution of Hamas in 1988 calls to obliterate Israel. Well, do you think that's changed? Do you think that's been amended? Do you think it's been taken out of, of the, the Hamas charter? I don't think so. So the idea, anybody that thinks that any, anything other than the obliteration of Israel is the goal of Hamas isn't keeping their eyes open. That's what the PLO goal was under Yasser Arafat. That's what the goal is under Hamas. It says so right in their charter. To install a new Islamic society. Why? Because everybody else is an Islamic society. They want a theocracy, basically an Iranian-style theocracy, right? Then it says this charter was amended in 2017, although the new policy still does not recognize Israel as a state. Well, how is it amended? By the way, 2017 is the year that Trump uh, uh, started uh, acting in the White House, um, you know, acting president. Not acting president. Let me see. See, see, the election was in 2016, but uh, he wasn't uh, inaugurated until 2017. So, yeah, January 20th. There we go. United States, back to the article. United States first designated Hamas as a foreign terrorist organization in 1997, according to the U.S. State Department. Cool. This, this is bigger than The organization has ruled the Gaza Strip since 2006 after beating its rival political party, Fatah, in local elections. Oh, there we go. So that's how they took over. Okay. Fatah was Yasser Arafat, Palestinian Liberation Organization. The party was called Fatah. So you got Hamas beat Fatah in an election. So they actually got there. Through democracy. <laughs> right. Article says, since the Hamas takeover of Gaza, Israel instituted a blockade of the small sliver of land that now lasted for 16 years. Gaza is really tiny. There's a whole bunch of people there living horrible, poor lives, but they are there simply, you know, at the pleasure of, of Hamas and other terrorist organizations to invade Israel. You know, Gaza is such a tiny place. Israel would be so much better off if they just took it over and gave people a choice. 
live under uh, under uh, you know, the government of Israel or go to Jordan. Pretty simple. All right. Oh, Greg, you can't uproot people that have been there for years and years. Yes, you can. Absolutely, you can. It happens all the time. Uh, look at the borders in Europe. Constantly changing. Marco was telling us about the changing borders in, in the Netherlands. Changing borders of Poland. Changing borders of Russia. Changing borders of the Ottoman Empire, which doesn't exist anymore. Changing borders of the Austro-Hungarian Empire. Austro-Hungarian Empire? Gone. <laughs> well, a bunch of countries have gone. Uh, so Marco says, ah, the Muslim Brotherhood, but no worries. They are moderate freedom fighters. <laughs> yeah, I heard that, that lie too. So yeah, the Muslim Brotherhood, we're going to go into, we're going to take some time on this. This is, this is not going to be done today. Um, but again, I have lots of articles. So this is Business Insider. Uh, I already quote the source here. Uh, so, so here we go. Since Hamas takeover, since the Hamas takeover of Gaza, Israel issued a blockade of the small slope. So they blockaded Gaza. It says the blockade restricts the flow of goods into the Palestinian territory and has caused shortages of everything from food to medicine. Well, see, it shouldn't be Palestinian territory because there's no such thing as Palestine. It's a British creation with the Balfour Agreement, you know, back after uh, World War II. Idiots. Or World War I. I think. It was after World War I. There we go. Get my war straight. Then the article says it, is also large, it also largely restricts Palestinians from leaving Gaza. The blockade has devastated the local economy. Half the population of Gaza is unemployed presenting fertile recruitment for Hamas military forces. Does this sound like uh, Council on Foreign Relations propaganda? Sure does to me. Listen to this. The blockade restricts the flow of goods into Palestine. I didn't mention how about all the, the missiles and bombs and the school buses, you know, and the terror, the suicide bombings that uh, Hamas has sent to Israel. No. They say the blockade restricts the flow of goods into the Palestinian territory. Well, it's not Palestinian territory because there is no such thing as Palestinian territory. All right. I, I might be done with this article. The surprise attack, well, it's a little bit more. The surprise attack on Saturday was the deadliest since 2014 when the murder of three Israeli teenagers by Hamas sparked a seven-week retaliation from Israel. Okay, there we go. May 2021, tensions in Jerusalem led to more violence during which Hamas launched about 1,600 rockets into Israel. 1,600. During this attack, Israel's Iron Dome missile defense system, the one that works, that we made, intercepted about 90% of the projectiles. That's pretty good. Defense system uses his own. There we go. Okay, fine. So there you go. So there's your little piece of propaganda. It's Israel's fault because they blockaded and made the Palestinians poor. That's, that's very leftist. Here's another one from Investors Business Daily. How Obama aided and abetted Hamas attacks. So now we're getting to the good stuff, right? Different author. Uh, editorial. So this is the, uh, the staff of Investors uh, Business Daily. Let me see if Marco has a... Oh, there's my, my little bargain coupon. It's not going to help me. Anyway, let's go into this one. Investors Business Daily. Uh, this would have been 11-27-2012. So this is 11 years ago. <laughs> Gee, who was in office in 2012? Let me think. Uh, 11-27. That would have been right after um, the election of Obama. No, wait a minute. He was in 2008. Yeah. Yeah, that would have been right after Obama was elected to a second term. By a whole lot fewer votes than the first term, which is kind of interesting. Don't have an article, uh, so I imagine this is the editorial staff of Investors Business Daily who says that Hamas chose to launch its massive barrage against Israel after President Obama's re-election is no coincidence. You haven't read this article yet. Yeah, uh, that's interesting. Hamas chose to launch its massive barrage against Israel after President Obama's re-election, uh, and they say it's no coincidence. He's given it every reason to feel it can act with, with relative impunity. So here we go. So Hamas is backed by Barack Obama. Right? Says the president's unconditional support for two of Hamas's enablers in the region, 
uh, and that would be Turkey, and the new Muslim Brotherhood regime in Egypt, that's Robert Morsi, clearly have emboldened the terror group. Since taking control of Gaza in 2006, Hamas has regularly shelled Israel. This is why this isn't a surprise. The only thing that's a surprise is the size of this attack. But the fact that this attack, Hamas has been attacking Israel for, for decades should, should not lead people to think that uh, this is something new. This is bigger. But, of course, again, we're going to get the motivation. Jonathan's on the line listening. I'm going to let him uh, hang for a little bit, then I'll, I'll bring him on here in just a little bit. Since taking control of Gaza, uh, I already said that. Oh, hang on. Hamas has regularly shelled Israel, but rocket and mortar attacks against its civilians have increased each year since Obama took office. Let me say that again. Since taking control of Gaza in 2006, Hamas has regularly shelled Israel, but rocket and mortar attacks against civilians have increased each year since Obama took office. How is that possible if Obama supports Israel? <laughs> Laughingly said. So they took control in 2006. So 2006 would have been halfway through George the Younger's second term. Hmm. And the Obamas. Basically the same country club members. All right. Through uh, November 20 of this year, Hamas fired a total of 1,203 missiles and rockets. Through November 20 of this year, 2012, Hamas fired 1,203 missiles and rockets, up from 156 for all of 2009. Well, wait a minute. From, from 156 to, that's, that's almost a 10 times increase during the Obama administration. Of course, you know, and of course, they, everybody knows Obama's running the White House now. Everybody knows Obama's running the federal government. So why wouldn't Hamas attack now? They're going to have the backing of Obama giving billions of dollars to Iran to fund this. I call it terrorist money laundering. And it says, according to, this is, according to, and then we got uh, Pianchi's on the line, too. This is going to be big. It says, throughout October, it says, 156 for all of 2009, 1,203 by 2012. Through October 31st, meanwhile, mortar attacks more than doubled to 200, 204. After Obama was reelected, the terror group intensified its bombardment of Israel, firing more than 640 rockets through last week's ceasefire. See, I don't remember hearing that during the Obama uh, administration, that uh, a whole bunch of Hamas attacks have uh, increased in uh, against Israel since Obama took office. This is, for the first time, Hamas rockets pounded Jerusalem and Tel Aviv, not just the region next to Gaza. This is for the first time. So Jerusalem and Tel Aviv. Uh, where, what's in Jerusalem? Ah, new American embassy put there by Trump. What a surprise. Uh, then it says, not only, so they used to bomb just next to Gaza. Then it says, not only have attacks steadily increased under Obama, they've hit distant targets inside Israeli cities. So they got braver and bolder because they knew they had Obama's backing, right? This is a smaller escalation occurred during last summer after Obama defied Congress, unfroze $147 million in aid to Palestinians, which we know aren't a country, right? Some 600,000 Gazans now receive nearly $100 million worth of USAID assistance. That's the thing that uh, Matt Gates wanted to defund, even though, this is even though they voted into power a U.S.-designated terror group. So Hamas has voted in democratically, replacing Fatah, which was Yasser Arafat's group. All right. USAID gives, uh, basically you're giving it to Hamas, millions upon millions of dollars, you know, and uh, basically supporting the economy of Gaza. They'd be much better supported by Israel. And then it says, so, Israeli intelligence, figure, Israeli intelligence figures that as much as 45% of U.S. and other foreign aid to Gaza and the West Bank is diverted to fund terrorism and buy rockets, mainly from Iran. The un I'll get you guys as soon as I get this article done. The undeniable truth is Hamas 
has escalated its war on Israel as this administration has increased aid and diplomatic ties to Gaza while snubbing Israel at almost every turn. Again, this article was written uh, in 2012, so this is 11 years ago. It could have been written yesterday. This is in a shocking switch from longstanding U.S. policy. It formally embraced Hamas's Egyptian parent, the Muslim Brotherhood. So part of our investigation this week is going to be, this is why I need Claire Lopez back, um, but we're going to be tracing the origins of Hamas coming from the Muslim Brotherhood. And, of course, we all know that the Muslim Brotherhood and Barack Obama are like intimate buddies. Then it says, this article says, not coincidentally, four longer-range Fahr, F-H-A-E-R, missiles, uh, five missiles also hit Israel after Obama won re-election. Hey, this is how Hamas celebrates. When Obama wins re-election, they, they, they uh, you know, missile uh, an attack and, and bomb Israel. So shockingly, these were Egyptian missiles launched from the Sinai. So it's another reason that they should take back the Sinai. How much more of this article do I have? Oh, here's the timeline. Oh, this is going to be, yeah, I'm going to hold off on that. Let's, let's have, just, I'm going to play this early. Jonathan mostly has a theme, but we're going to start his report a little bit early, and then I'll bring on Pianchi here. So let me get, uh, this, will, this will get us inspired to talk about the law and international law and all the laws that were broken and uh, all the money that's illegally sent, and yeah, we'll figure it out. All right, here we go. What is the law? Are we under the rule of law? Does that mean those who make the laws rule us? Aren't we under the consent of we the people, where we write the laws we consent to be governed by and rule the government? Who is the law? Is it the Supreme Court, the President, the Congress, the states? Can you take the law into your own hands? Is there any time the law isn't in your own hands? In a country under a coup d'etat and a stolen government, there is no law. But there are a whole bunch of things being done in the name of law. And now, with this state of confusion and contradiction, let's try to find a way out together by using the law. Because if our government of the people, by the people, and for the people means anything. It means we the people are the law. And now to try and make some sense of all this and use the law as it was meant to be used to find our way back to freedom, it's time now for The Legal Report with Jonathan Mosley. Yeah, and I know we're a little off topic today, but uh, your expertise, Jonathan, in Washington and bureaucracy, and I don't know how much you know about Hamas and the Muslim Brotherhood or Obama, um, but any insights would be, would be greatly appreciated. So uh, I know you've been listening for a little bit. I don't know if you caught the full hour, but, uh, or, or the many articles that I post on uh, Special Investigations and uh, the International News Group, but uh, this, I, this is a busy morning. Good morning, sir. Well, it is. Um, I hope you can hear me well. Yeah, um, sounds good. The, um, let me know if, if not. But uh, yeah, I, I called in early mainly just to keep up with you, not to uh, not to take <laughs> over you know, more oh, time. Yeah, yeah. Um, well, I, I can always go back to articles. Yeah. I've got uh, I've got uh, about twenty <laughs> for this week. No, but there, there is uh, um, obviously on a day like today you can't. It, this is the story. Mm-hmm. Um, there are there are other things that I had thought <clears throat> to, to talk about in terms of the intersection of, of politics and law, but um, you can't, there are many reasons why we can't just ignore this, um, whether, whatever the topic of my, my section would be, and, and I'm sure no, we'll get next week. a lot. <laughs> we'll, we'll get um, on a slow news well, day. Yeah. Maybe there'll be a, 
maybe there'll be a next week. Who knows? Um, the way things are, are going oh, here. Oh, about that. But the, I've got um, plans. Uh, what? Okay. I got plans for uh, next week and the week after. I got I got things to do. I got projects. Right. You know, it's like the Bible says. You know, don't don't. You know, it's nothing is promised to us. Anyway, say um um. Now the interesting thing here about the law, yeah, I'm, I know you know a fair amount about. I'm not not an expert like say. Uh, um, Claire was or something like that about. I want her back. I'm gonna try and get her back on the show. I know she left because she got busy and did a bunch of other stuff, but I really want to get her back. All right, here's my here's my. Let's go to the let's let's go to the big theory here. Obama, we know, is connected to the Muslim Brotherhood and Hamas. We know that he's Muslim. We know that he hates America. Claire made it very clear that Iran was behind 9/11. So here's my big question for Claire. I'm gonna ask her this after the show. Does the, the, does the association of Iran and Obama go back to 9-11? That's what I'm wondering. Um, I, I mean, wait, you just said that. What, what, what did, the last thing you just said? <laughs> yeah, you've got to believe your way into it. All right. So here's our so logical just, sequence. I, mean, right? Is that I, a know, I mean, you just, I, I thought you just said the same thing twice. Mm, I don't think so. Well, maybe not. I, I, I could have. I'm kind of... Uh, my brain's kind of scattered this morning, but I said that um, we know that Obama is connected to Hamas. We just read that in the articles. We know that uh, he's connected to the Muslim Brotherhood. Just heard about that too. Claire Lopez has confirmed that as well. We know that the Muslim Brotherhood and Hamas are funded by Iran. We know that Iran was the major player in 9-11. So my question is, we know the Muslim Brotherhood Hamas have been in the White House with uh, one of Hamas's, I don't know the Muslim Brotherhood, has been in the White House many times when Barack Obama was in, was in the White House. So my question is, if Iran funded and sponsored 9-11 and Obama is giving billions to Iran, does the association between Iran and Obama go back as far as 9-11? Well, you're, you're, just, uh, you're asking if, basically if Claire is right. Um, no, that, what she didn't say is she didn't say that uh, Obama and Iran go back to 9-11. She said Iran was behind 9-11, but she didn't make that connection as far as I know. She might have. You know, it's been a while since she's been on. Um, I don't I, I, I don't know, because when did, when did Barack become a uh, – he became a, a U.S. senator, I think, in 2004, didn't he? Um, Probably he only ran one term, or I think he was less than a term. Yeah, so so he may the, the timeline might have just been a bit early, but the thing is, mm-hmm. um, to a large extent, the current version of Iran, um, this is what they exist for. Now, you yeah. know, I have I have family who are Iranian, who uh-huh. fled Iran. Actually, the Armenian um, found refuge in, in in Iran temporarily. Then, right. when we had the revolution. They said, oh, no, that's not for us. They <laughs> left and came to America. So not every, you know, a lot of times when people come from one of these difficult countries, you have to realize, you know, even the Soviet Union, that they, they, they came to America because they said, oh, hell no, I'm not, that's not, I'm not, oh, yeah. that's not for me. And the Iranians um, call themselves Persians, the, the, usually the ones that don't want to be associated with Iran, uh, anything to do with the theocracy or, or the, uh, you know, the Muslim dominated society, uh, government, they, they call themselves Persians, which is kind of interesting. So that's kind of like right. a clue. But, 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 yeah. so when, we talk uh-huh. about, when I talk about Iran, of course, I'm talking about the revolution, that mm-hmm. you know, the Islamic revolution that took it over in 19, um, 
was this seven was it seventy nine or earlier? I think uh Well it was, it was right at the end of Jimmy Carter. Next. So it uh uh it was the hostage crisis was four hundred and forty four days. Uh uh it ended basically with Reagan, so it would have been probably Carter was seventy six to eighty, so probably seventy eight, I would guess. Yeah. So anyway, so um I mean this in in that sense the Iran that we we, are, we think of today it, it, this is pretty much their reason for existing. Um you know they they want to they they wanted to spread a uh, you know a, an Islamic uh, caliphate um which they believe will, will usher in you know their version of paradise um right. and, and that kind of thing but but you know destroying Iran is like you know right up there in terms of in terms of what they're all about. So, well, I mean, you're, you're asking, would they do things? Would they do, would they do the very thing, which is like one of their top reasons for existing? Um, yeah. Now, Obama became a Senator in 2007. He won in 2006. Okay. Um, but, um, no, 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 that's not right. No, he was, he, he, he was running for uh, 2008. He ran for president. <clears throat> but he only he'd only been a senator maybe a couple of years. So here's here's a big here's <laughs> here's another question that just popped into my head um, that um, Israel has already threatened that if Iran has a nuclear bomb they're going to take care of it. Uh, Iran, you know, we're, we're sending a carrier group for some reason I do not understand. There's also some air force contingent that's going to keep Iran from entering the conflict. I think that's to save Iran's butt because Israel would love Iran to take hostile action. That would give them the excuse to take out all their nuclear stuff. See, I think that the Israel knew this was going to happen. They let it happen. Uh, like Prober, I think FDR let it happen. Like all these things along the way, the main, you know, the, the, the Greer and the Gulf of Tonkin, all these, the Lusitania. There's a long tradition of, letting, of forcing the other side to fire first so you can kill them. I think that uh, this has been planned. I think Israel wanted Gaza. They want all this nonsense. Stop. Bibi Netanyahu's had enough. So you knew they were going to, they knew they were going to do this. As soon as they did, this retaliation was ready to go. I think the retaliation against Iran is also ready to go, which means if Iran does anything to attack Israel, they're going to get very possibly nuked or pummeled somehow. And so, so what our Air Force is going to do is probably keep Iran from getting killed by Israel. <laughs> I, just, I just, you know, it, it just, it just well, that's how it looks to me, Jonathan. Well, it, is, so maybe, it, it does seem like, huh? No, Hold on, Pianchi. Maybe Palestine wants their land back. Well, it's not their land. There is no Palestine. We went over that in the, in the, the it first It was hour. a Palestine. The maps say no. Palestine. Well, the, the, British, the British declared it, but it's not real. These are Jordanians. You know, they're, they're, it's not a country. It was never a state. It, it's, you know, it's Israel. In 53 B.C., the Ptolemy's map showed a Palestine. Okay. Well, I'm sure they showed in Israel back then, too. But, you know, I, I want to keep uh, the discussion no Israel, serious. Israel came about with the League of Nations. Okay. Well, anyway. All right, hold, hold on. Anyway, I, 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 I don't, I don't want to get too far uh, distracted on this. I want to keep up with uh, – I want to really keep this current if we can. Your lack of history, it really shows well, sometimes. That's okay. You're right. a good guy. Well, I, we can disagree, but uh, you know, it's, 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 you know, this is just it's, we're disagreeing. I want to keep this focused. We now, if you want to do a, if you want to go back into the history, that's a good thing to do. I but do as far as what's going on now, I think it, it may be Russia for what's going on in Ukraine. How do you put two thousand uh, 
rocket launchers in an area, and Israelis supposed to have the greatest intelligence in the world. They didn't know about that. That didn't occur uh, within a couple of hours. Yeah, see, I don't know if they didn't know about it. That's 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 a, that, I've got two articles. One that says they didn't know. One that says they didn't know. Let's uh, let me get back to Jonathan. And uh, like I say, I want to keep this on to the current well, conflict as much as possible with limited limited. Well, you know, I want to go back think, to 53 I mean, BC. I mean, Jonathan. people people need to. I mean, we need to go into this, but I don't know that I'm the you know. Yeah, this is no, right. I, do. I just don't want to do it now. It's just, it's just, it's, because, it's a long time for this discussion because we'll get, we'll get completely sidetracked. I want to keep it current on this, and then right. I want, well, I want I mean, to take it up. It's a great idea. That's where, yeah, that's where you want to get thing. a real expert in the in the Middle East conflict to talk about Hamas and and and, and those things and what what it, what's all about. I mean, I, I I do you know I do have my doubts about um, about all this, but when I mean, I mean, let's say you stipulate that uh, Palestine legitimately has, you know, as part parts of that that area. But if there are people who can't live peacefully with their neighbors, um, you know, does, does it does it excuse anything? Um, and at some point, like when you keep, um, you know, if you if you live in a neighborhood and somebody keeps shooting shooting a gun out in the neighborhood. You're going to say, well, yeah, you're in your house, but you know that's, you know that's we can't we can't live with this. Um, so, so I don't know, but um, of course, you know the um, Democratic Socialists of, of America had a huge rally in New York City uh, mm-hmm. in favor of Hamas. Um, there were there were um, protests all over the place. There was one here in Fort Lauderdale. Hmm. So so the. Uh, um, and it is it is interesting because well there's a lot of a lot of things that are interesting. One of the things that's important is that of course it it appears that the U.S. intelligence agencies and and, and others had absolutely no clue this was going to happen. Um, and did they though? You think, you think I, they? I let, thought that well, too yesterday, but now I'm not so sure because apparently the Iranian spy ring was just busted last week in in Washington. Did you hear about that? No, I just learned about it this morning. We're, we're going to go more into that. But uh, how could they not know? We've got a whole Middle East branch in uh, the State Department. We've got a Middle East Department in the CIA. We've got the NSC, the N- you know, NSA. We've got the Defense Intelligence Agency. We've got 17 agencies, and not one of them knew this was coming. Well, but that's that's what, that's what I'm saying. Is they're too busy learning their their gender pronouns. And and watching Catholic churches and and parents, yeah, yeah. And this is this is the you know this is the cost of of uh, of, of wokeism, uh, where they're, they're busy. You know they're they're trying they're trying to talk about um, places that could possibly you know, things that could possibly happen. The FBI was supposed to was supposed to pro- help prosecute crime, not not uh, thought crime or um, future crime. Um, hmm. And like uh, the minority report. Yeah, I just think that. Yeah, it's, it's interesting how Hollywood, you know, warns of these things and then suddenly decides that no, that's cool after all. So they had a movie warning against the idea of prosec- of convicting people of crimes they might occur. So um, the um, you know, so this is the thing: is that is the United States, you know, like every. I think Ukraine and all these other people in this war, they assume that the United States is powerful mm-hmm. and 
really it's not for, for a number of reasons, largely because, you know, when you, when you sap all, all of our, um, when you sap all of our, you know, resources to settle political scores, nobody's watching, you know, nobody's watching the enemy across the street. Hmm. Uh, so so I, that's the way I interpret that. Now, I, <clears throat> I mean, I, I don't, well, I, I mean, I don't know why the United States would, would act this way. I may, I can possibly, you could say that Netanyahu, you know, wouldn't, you know, would love a chance to just wipe out Hamas. So that's and what I'm wondering. Wait. This, 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 uh, you know, he's sick of this. He's sick of the, the left in Israel. Let me ask Pianki a question, um, especially because you do know the area. The Abraham Accords uh, are, are on hold right now. The, the alliance between Saudi Arabia and Israel and Bahrain and Morocco uh, seems to be on the rocks right now. Um, and you mentioned Ukraine and Russia. I'll get to that in a little bit. But what do you think Trump would do if you were in office right now? Trump? If Trump got elected, this would be a distraction from him tending to what needs to be tended to in America. Okay. So maybe so that's what it's planned on being. So what about this Obama, meeting tomorrow? Obama ain't got nothing to Go do ahead. with this. Obama, oh, in 2007, he wasn't nothing but a peon. No, I think, he has everything to, I think he has everything to do with this. Because none of, nothing like this happened him. when Trump what was in office. Need, we just, what, I just went yeah, over an article of – wait a minute. I just went over an article of how much the terrorism has increased from Hamas You know, every year that Obama was in office. It got worse. He had the Muslim Brotherhood in the White House. You know, it's just – Obama's all over this. And the fact that he hasn't said anything, he's – what was the expression? Conspicuous by his absence? So well, I asked Jonathan the same question about about Trump. So what do you think is going to happen tomorrow? Uh, it, would this be time for Trump to be speaker? And does this change that narrative? Because he's going to be meeting with the GOP uh, House members tomorrow. And then hopefully we'll vote on a speaker Wednesday. I think it has a whole new dynamic to it. I mean, Pianchi, let me get your opinion and I'll go back to Jonathan. I, I would like to see Trump as a speaker or even, even uh, floated his name out there with some sort of seriousness even if they're not serious. Yeah, I just wrote an article on it on Substack if you, if you want to get my, my extended take on it. <laughs> it's rather extended. It's like 1,500 words. one of my bigger ones. Yeah, Jonathan, what do you think? Does, does, does uh, Trump either being there or not being there, how does that change this whole dynamic? Because nothing like this happened when Trump was in office. We had the Abraham Accords. Things were going great until yeah, and you know, he's, the he's making Yeah, he's making this point, the same as Russia invading Ukraine. It's like he, he, you know, he's saying that he does not believe <clears throat> that um, you know that, that that they would have taken this chance, and I and I, and I think there's probably some truth to that. Um, that this would not have happened if he were president, largely because we left 80 billion dollars of, of military weaponry in Afghanistan. Um, have and, they turned up in uh, this yet? Has any of those weapons uh, turned up being used? Have any of our weapons yeah, been yeah. turned up and used are, against Israel? Are, yes, there are reports that. Um, you know, I, I don't know if I've seen the evidence that would hold up in court, but there are reports that they saw, they, they've seen these weapons in Gaza before this attack happened. You know, the reports, you have a source reports on that? are before. I, I need to put that uh, on, our, on our Facebook pages. I so I, I'll look it up myself after the show. U.S. weapons in Gaza. It makes sense. Um, Go ahead. Well, Go yeah, ahead. it makes sense. sense. That would have been a back doorway to get it in by Biden leaving them there. Yes. 
Um, and <clears throat> we, I think we just delivered $143 million of, of aid to, um, to Hamas uh, or Palestinian or the Palestinians generally. Um, well, USAID, yeah. uh, do you know about them? It's the economic aid. But apparently, I just read an article saying that half of that goes for, for bombs and missiles. It goes for terrorist money, for terrorist uh, weapons and things. It doesn't go to people. Matt Gates wanted to fund the well, USAID. Well, right. Once they give it away, they don't have no way to keep account of it. You got a USAID going through the Nicaragua, Honduras, and El Salvador. If we're giving money to Palestine, well, sorry, I misspoke. There is no. If we're giving money to folks in the Gaza, right, you know, for economic aid, and it gets spent on missiles and bombs, you're saying we can't account for that? That doesn't make sense. Well, no, but 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 that's the whole thing is that is that there's there's somehow I mean the the American politics has been um, so pro-Palestinian for mm-hmm. uh, I mean again we we say like oh yes we support Israel but you know like everything else that we do we really don't um, mm-hmm. and um, uh, they uh, you know it's like it's like the, the Democrats' idea is like well, we we support uh, stronger border control. You know, in, in the same way that, you know, that Second Amendment enthusiasts in, um, support gun control, meaning a good aim. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, and and yeah. so the, um, you know, the, the Democrats think that that the, the, the border is, is broken because we're not processing uh, immigrants into the country fast enough. Uh, so, um, you know, they, they the, the uh, support for for Palestine has been extreme, even in the face of violence. Like right now, you know, if you if you wanted to have all these demonstrations for Palestine, would you do it right now, right after they they uh, invaded? Um, I mean, they are around the like- world. <laughs> they are. I've got friends in Australia, Facebook friends, who are posting that Sydney had huge demonstrations. The demonstrations in Europe right now. In fact, Marco, Marco let's get Marco on the line. See what's uh, what's going on in the Netherlands. Uh, oh, Marco says the most advanced secret service in the world failed, uh, fared by everyone does not have a clue. This is happening. Yeah. Right. So Marco thinks as I do, that uh, I think Israel knew, I don't see how they could not know. They didn't use scud missiles. So the dome is not effective. Those are low altitude missiles that they use, uh, saying that the Afghanistan took over the equipment. And you got that equipment used to target Israel. Well, that's a hmm. backdoor way. If the United yeah. States has gave Hamas equipment to target Israel right out front, then that would have brought about some means for retaliation. You don't know oh, who's yeah. coming across the border. Well, I mean, everything's hidden. It's like it's, it's money laundering, weapons laundering. Let me get you Trump's statement from Saturday. See what you think of this. Trump said he, these Hamas attacks are a disgrace, and Israel has every right to defend itself with overwhelming force. Sadly, and this is the part that gets controversial, American taxpayer dollars helped fund these attacks, which many reports are saying came from the Biden administration. I agree. We brought so much peace to the Middle East through the Abraham Accords, only to see Biden whittle it away at a far more rapid pace than anyone thought possible. Here we go again. So that's Trump's statement. Well, I mean, the United States is certainly expert at being stupid. Um, you know, whether whether you say it's whether that means blissfully ignorant or whether it means 
um, no, doing things knowingly, but things that are stupid, doing it knowingly. Um, I, I, I don't know, but we, we are, we are amazingly, um, idiotic. Um, mm-hmm. you know, I guess that's what happens when you walk away from God, but, but anyway, so, um, <clears throat> I, I, I don't know, but the thing, the thing is, for example, um, legally and stuff, there are, um, first of all, a lot of, a lot of Israel, Israelis are U.S. citizens because mm-hmm. they, 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 they lived in the United States and uh, went back to, um, you know, to Israel or, or go back there. So there were, there were American citizens killed at this festival. Now, um, oh, so, you know, the, the, so, so what was uh, uh, what, the retaliation going to be? I would say zero. What? What's the retaliation going to be? Well, they, what, what would what would Brandon do versus what Trump would do? Trump would, would be immediately in this with Rangers and SEALs well, aiding Israel. Well, but, they got to do citizenship. Yeah, and some of them were just straight up. Um, American, yeah. You know, so, some some of the dual dual citizenships with some people which bother some people uh, uh, is a big topic. But some of them are just straight up U.S. citizens visiting there. Mm-hmm. The woman who uh, Who's, who's and I have well, I mean we haven't we've only heard seen descriptions, which is probably appropriate. But the the naked woman who was who was paraded around on on a truck was from Germany, which is not going to well. Of course, the Europeans being stupid is you know the, the only people more stupid about terrorism than the United States is, is yeah. But is the Germans, Europe. if they want to, <laughs> Germans have a special forces group too. You know, Germany has has a has a history of of taking you know national retaliatory action or or initiating action, you know, going back right. to Bismarck they, and before. So, but but, but mean, we don't have, they don't have the political will to do it. They'd rather, um, you know, they they they're just you know, they'd rather bend over backwards to to uh, to please Islamic terrorism than than to do what they could do. And here's you would think that here. Here are German citizens this festival. Now, now of course, people, they took, uh, let me back up a little bit, they, they um, planned this huge operation. Um, and, and it was not just, it was not just a small group that was, that was very successful in killing people. It was a huge invasion. And they um, used these James Bond, there's like a, a James Bond film where they used this, um, these I think people call them paragliders. I don't think that's the right term for them. They're like, they're like no, they're, like, well, actually, no, these are, these people, uh, they have a, basically an, uh, a fan, like an airboat engine and a little yeah. thing. I mean, I would, I rode a trike with a friend of mine, which is a hang glider, a propeller and that kind of stuff. So they're not quite paragliders. I forgot what they're called, but it's basically a two person flying craft with uh, kind of wing on top. Well, it probably was, uh, paragliders don't have an engine, so these are like power paragliders. Basically. Well, they they do instead of a wing, they do use uh, you know a a, a, a rectangular um, parachute. Yeah, parachute, parachute airfoil. but it's powered. It's powered flight. It's not mm-hmm. a glider. It's powered flight. No, no, because this is they they have to, they want to attack. They want to go straight there. So that's that's a different thing. Here's um, no. the operator's got a fan on his back, Greg. No, right. uh, it's a separate. No, it's a separate. I've, I've seen these. I know how they work. I've flown in similar craft. Uh, the, the, there's a propeller. Yeah, but anyway, this is organized attack. They flew in. Yeah. 
Right. They're not cheap. Mm-hmm. And they used, I think, a, a fairly large number of them, didn't they? I'm and, not sure. I haven't gotten that far in that, but but you got to practice. I mean, anything you fly, Pianchi knows this, anything you fly takes practice. So where were they practicing this raid? Well, that's, that's where I, I don't believe the intelligence could miss this unless they're just so busy harassing um, Catholics and, and uh No, wait, parents. but Israeli. I mean, Israel has, I mean, we've got satellite pictures. We've got, you know, you can read license plates from, from you know, 100 miles up. So how could they not see a couple of hundred paragliders, you know, uh, practicing a raid? That's impossible. And the United States could pick up, you know, again, if, if the U.S. intelligence were doing their job, if U.S. intelligence ever in the history of the universe were any good, um, they would detect those, those purchases. Mm-hmm. Um, in fact, some of, the, some of the Patriot Act is you know, is aimed at, at financial reporting of all kinds of things, suspicious activity reporting by banks, um, all kinds of things. Now, yes, they're going to go through cutouts, but those would be suspicious too. You know, why would you, you, know, why would you buy hundreds of these things? Um, and um, so we completely, we completely missed it, but, you know, I'm sure that somewhere in America they're arresting a grandmother, you know, at 6 a.m. this morning. Yeah, um, for going to a school so, board meeting. Um, right. For, um, and, um, you know, or, or praying at an abortion clinic. But, um, but anyway, so when they had these tactics, for some reason, they, they attacked this huge outdoor music festival. You know, On a Jewish holiday. On a Jewish holiday. Yeah. Sukkot and, or whatever, and, uh, however you pronounce it. Yeah. And on the and on the uh, the Sabbath as well as the mm-hmm. holiday, mm-hmm. and uh, and so you had this international festival where you think that the European nations of these many of these people would actually care, but no, they're you know like how, how can we how can we um, blame it on everybody else but but uh, the Islamic terrorists? But right. but the thing is is that so they they seem to have gone for outdoor um, uh, well, Woodstock style. Yeah, apparently you know, it's, really like, like, it's not like it's not like it's a festival yeah. in, a, in an established yeah. stadium. It was out right. in the wilderness and things. And, and ironically, it was a music festival for peace. Mm-hmm. So you have all these yeah. sappy, sappy left-wing Europeans and Israels out there celebrating peace, and they're being slaughtered. Now the question is, why did? The Hamas fighters focus on this festival. Of course, it's decadent. It's like women, scantily clad women, and all these kinds of things. Yeah, it's um, like Woodstock. But yes, but isn't that a war crime to focus on on, on civilians? civilians? Like what? Hmm? Well, they're a state of war now. That's an interesting question. It is an act of war against Israel. If you want to look at it that way, sure. And why not go against a military target? Well, and that's uh, see. This is about humiliation. This is about destroying will. I mean, why do we why do we bomb cities in World War II to destroy their will to fight? Did it work? No. Well, you know, another problem. Hamas is not a country. Yeah. No, but they're they're well, and but they declared but Israel declared war on Hamas. They didn't declare war on a country. So that's right. But that's what's no. But that that is a that is an unusual thing. Mm Mm-hmm. Is that, you know, 
um, can you be at war with a private terrorist group? Sure. And, well, that's the government because they represent uh, – they were elected by the, the people in the Gaza Strip to represent them. So Hamas well, took over for Fatah. So Fatah was was Yasser Arafat. Remember the PLO? Remember when they attacked? Speaking of Germany, remember when the they, the PLO killed the uh, the athletes in, in Munich, Germany? German police had no problem killing them. So in, in those days, you know they they had well, a response. I mean, okay, but that's uh-huh. the police. That's law enforcement. But right. but for example, um, Governor Abbott in Texas has finally gotten around after about ten years of of people asking him to um, to declaring war. To declare an invasion. Now, the invasion, of course, is not by the constituted government of Mexico. No. Except to the extent that they're, that they're corrupted. You know, so it's the same. It's the same thing. Can you know? Can the drug cartels um, and uh, drug smuggling rings and everything like that? Can you be at war with those with those criminal gangs? Absolutely. And, and uh, yeah, so it's it's similar. But interesting, as Pianchi well, said. Well, talk about that, because this is a topic you brought up, that you want to talk about the, the, the ability of states to declare independence and keep invaders out of their state. And I, I know Pianchi agrees with that, and I do too. Right. Well, the, the thing is, the Constitution, um, I mean, because remember, the Supreme Court of the United States back in 2010, and repeatedly other times, sla- slapped down the efforts of Arizona to um, to stop illegal immigration, the uh, Arizona passed laws that were just mirror images, were just copies of mm-hmm. federal law. Mm-hmm. And said, and you know, we're going to, we're going to, you know, what, what you guys in Congress enacted, we're just going to enact the same thing, but we're actually going to enforce it. <laughs> and uh, and and well, we can't have that. So the Obama administration went berserk. Mm-hmm. And they um, and the Supreme Court agreed that I mean that the federal government's decision to violate its own laws and not enforce them were, took were, took precedence over over Arizona enacting the exact same laws and actually well we're actually going to enforce it so you know the the executive policy of non-enforcement in violation of the law was considered part of the supreme you know the supremacy clause over state law so um what they didn't argue as we say is the fact that the constitution specifically empowers the states to uh repel invasion i mean that that, that especially back then when we you know, the idea was is that, is that transportation, communication, those things were not, you know, we, we think of a war as being, you know, blitzkrieg of Germany invading Belgium, um, you know, in 24 hours. That wasn't what war meant when the Constitution was written. They didn't have, I mean, it was like you'd have to spend, you know, weeks or months getting everybody on horseback and then, you know, ride out there and march out there. And it's like sailing across the war. Atlantic. It, it, it yeah, war ships. was far yeah. more yeah. slow motion than it was today, mm-hmm. what they meant. But anyway, so mm-hmm. but the Constitution specifically says that when there's an invasion, um, a state can go to war by itself. Hmm. Um, you know, because if, if they cannot, 
if the, if the, if the emergency will not admit of delay, the Constitution says. Mm-hmm. And um, so the question is, what is an invasion? You know, has they like is is here you have Israel has declared war, and is you know is that because of an invasion? Um, and um, it, you know, does, and the question is, is like when you talk about the Texas border, is it this overheated rhetoric, or is it really closer to the kind of war that was happening? when the Constitution was written than well, in it, World War II movies. It doesn't matter. The fact that the state is being invaded, um, looks like Priyanki's left us for a bit, but uh, it doesn't matter that, um, you know, the, how you title this. The states are sovereign entities. They have borders. You know, residents, it says that those who are American citizens of the United States are also citizens of the state in which they reside, which means those, are, those that are not citizens of the United States you know, are not citizens of the state in which they reside. And so the states can yeah, do but it. Not, I mean, not they, they to COVID. This, but, they were, they were, they were checkpoints for, for COVID. Blocking but I've states. had so many different, uh, um, you know, debates with people. Like, why don't Republican, you know, Republican governors, why don't they <clears throat> do this or why don't they do that? And people don't seem to realize that they tried. And the Supreme Court said, hell no. Well, but you don't listen no. to that because that's, that's, a, that's a bogus decision. It's like Roe v. Wade. It was never enforceable. It's a bogus decision because the Supreme Court can't make policy. They can't make law and they can't make regulation. All, the only authority they have is over the cases before them. That's it. So the idea right. that they can do all this uh, you know, horrendous stuff. So the states were perfectly free. What are, what's the Supreme Court going to do? What, you, you get five or six justices gonna, or judges excuse me, going to go out to Arizona and tell them not to do something? Please. Arizona well, has a National is, Guard. Is, Texas has a National Guard. They should have used the Texas National Guard should have been on the southern border the day that Brandon stole the election. Or right, stole well, the White House. It, but, Inauguration. But, yeah, because that's even, what I done. <laughs> even Governor Abbott, you talk tough now. You know, well, I mean, again, the, the, the goal of Republicans is to talk tough and do nothing. So we have, yep. you know, Governor Abbott, you know, was talking tough all this time, but he actually did nothing. He's finally, they've finally gotten around to doing things. Mm-hmm. And right now it's flipped where, yes, this, the federal government would have to come and remove, and they're doing it. They, the, 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 the state, state of Texas is putting up barbed wire and the, our border patrol, our border service is going down there and cutting the, uh, the barbed wire so that, so that mm-hmm. people can get in. Yep. Um, so, but, but, but we're now in a posture. Why, why are they doing that? That's a violation of their oath to uh, support and defend the Constitution and the lawful, uh, you know, the, 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 the laws of our country. So the idea that they're opening the border to illegals by cutting, you know, something that Texas has put up, that's a crime itself. Why, why are they just not complying? Why are they saying, no, pound sand, I'm not going to do that. So where's the border patrol? Well, where's their loyalty this, to this country over over their their pension and their job or whatever it is? I don't know why they're doing it. Just following uh, orders. Excuse me. Okay. Got to get you to back away from the microphone when you do that. Sometimes it gets a bit loud. <laughs> so if you just back away from your phone or back away from. Well, I actually, actually, it was about two, three, two, three feet away. That's oh, okay, like good. There. Cell yeah. phone was weird. But yeah. um, but the uh, okay, but the. Uh, it, that's why I worry about the military is when when good good people quit because of all this nonsense. Um, 
you know, it only it only leaves you know the the good Nazis in the in these institutions. So I mean, I don't know. I mean, I, I you know, I uh, I post things on Facebook. You mm-hmm. know, I'm, I wonder if my friends think, are you crazy? You're gonna you're saying you know all these things. But but yeah, I want I want the FBI agents who um you know are undoubtedly uh, watching. Uh, you know, to, to, to say what, you know, to say, why am I doing this? Why, why hasn't the FBI, why, why haven't FBI agents walked up to the top floor and started arresting people? Um, you know, so I, I don't know. I keep that, wondering where my turn is. <laughs> I mean, you know, what? We, 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 see, I keep wondering where my turn is. And I keep inviting the FBI KGB to call the show. So boys, if you're listening, 215-383-3832, just uh, give us a call. I'm happy to talk to you. Yeah, I'd be very surprised if they weren't listening. Right. Well, you know, but they're not listening, but they didn't catch, you know, an invasion of, you know, of Hamas and in, in, into Israel. Well, um, yeah, by Hamas. So, um, well, uh, here's it gets more complicated because apparently Hakeem Jeffries got a briefing on this from the CIA, but the Republicans didn't. That's, that's the story I heard on Newsweek. I have to investigate that further. But look how weak the response is. Apparently there was some uh, statement that was immediately recalled. Right after the attack started, uh, the, the White House put out this statement, you know, we want a ceasefire, we want this to end, we want, uh, you know, Israel should, should, you know, should be compassionate, you know, and of course that got immediately dumped, but, uh, but the reaction was pretty bad. Listen, here's the statement that Blinken made. Uh, so he says, we unequivocally condemn the appalling attacks by Hamas terrorists against Israel. We stand in solidarity with the government and people of Israel and extend our condolences for the Israeli lives lost in these attacks. Okay, great. So what's he going to do about it? Nothing. Uh, right. Lloyd, well, yeah. That was his. Lloyd, that was yeah. that. That was after the initial instinct yep. to side with the to side with the terrorist was withdrawn. Do you have that initial statement? I've been trying to find it. I want to find out what the, the statement that got recalled. I haven't been able to find uh, it. it. It's out there somewhere, but it's but it's a um, but it was basically again that they wanted they wanted uh, restraint on you know on all sides, <laughs> which means Israel. Well, here's right. what. Uh, and, Lloyd Austin, our Secretary of Defense, said, I'm closely monitoring developments in Israel. Yeah, I'm sure you are. Our commitment to Israel's right to defend itself remains unwavering, and I extend my condolences to the families. Of, yeah, same thing. Over the coming days, the Department of Defense will work to ensure that Israel has what it needs to defend itself and protect civilians from indiscriminate violence and terrorism. Well, what does that mean? Don't we do that anyway? I mean, Israel gets well, a lot yeah. of stuff from us. Yeah, okay. If they were so, so, watching that instead of trying to you know, teach about white rage, um, yeah. wouldn't, they have, wouldn't they have noticed it before the fact instead of after the fact? And again, we now have, um, <clears throat> the, the, we've never seen this thing where there's all this kidnapping. Um, hundreds of people were kidnapped, probably most of them from, from that uh, music festival. And by the way, one of the things that bothers me about this incursion and, and all the, the slaughter of, um, of, of Israel, Israelis and people visiting Israel is nobody had a gun. You know, it, they, they, the Hamas comes across the border and, and all these people are totally unarmed. That's, yeah, that's they're right terrible. on the border, too. That's, uh, well, they're liberals. I mean, they, they, this, this is a peace event. Why would you bring gun to a peace event? I didn't think right. they get attacked from the sky. You know James Bond, but not only that, but but the, but the villages too. All the villages everywhere. 
Um, well, yeah, they were and, going to houses and killing people. I mean, they, these were commando raids. So this is organized and trained. And now here's a question, too. Has anybody been caught uh, that is not Hamas? I mean, are there any Iranian special forces or, or other nations special forces uh, involved in, in the actual raids? I don't, I don't think Hamas trained for this, but somebody might have. Are these, are these imported people? From well, I mean, I, I, I think, I think Hamas, like Iran, I think Hamas mm-hmm. exists for this. So I, uh, but I mean, I think that, I think that the funding is from Iran. Now, people are saying that the six billion dollars that uh, I, I've started to love the term Joe Tato, um, the, mm-hmm. uh, um, you know, like potato. Um, yep, I know that. Uh, they that he says well the money the six billion dollars well first first of all let me go back to what I was saying a moment ago because we now have American hostages and Americans killed you know you could say oh that's just Israel over there and and I and I do think it's a very interesting problem you know mm-hmm. should we should we come to defense of Israel but not Ukraine <clears throat> I think that I mean I I I think we're making serious mistakes with, with Ukraine but I but I think it's a just to be honest it's a very interesting challenge. Like what, what? What's the difference? You know, oh, what, totally what's different. the difference between uh, uh, these are totally different situations? Because Ukraine never should have happened. If you remember Dr. Peter Price report, this was easily prevented by simply not having Ukraine join NATO. This was easily prevented right. by uh, by having a, a negotiated settlement and just basically NATO was leaving them alone. So make it a Eastern European, uh, a Russian, and a Ukrainian problem. They would have figured it out. I mean. Russia might have gotten more influence over more territory. You know, the Germans sort of have influence over the eastern part, the Russians over the west part, uh, and the Dnieper River kind of splits them. Well, the, but know, the Palestinians so and their supporters will say that, that you know, expansions of settlements and um, <clears throat> Israelis yeah. going to the, uh, to the um, Temple Mount, which yeah. is the, the historic site of the most holy site in Israel, but then the... Uh, um, the Muslims put a, a little tiny uh, Muslim uh, <clears throat> style, of, you know, what's the word? Cathedral? Oh, shoot. What's the word? Um, chapel. It'd be like in what, what in Christianity we would call a little chapel. Um, mm-hmm. They put it on the, their, the Al-Aqsa um, mosque. So they would, you know, they would claim provocation. I mean, people, pe- people finding a way to be, to pretend to be provoked is sort of a, an advanced well, that's and they wanted Hamas to shoot first, so they could. I think they could clean out Gaza. I think they could take it over again. And they should also get the Golan and uh, and take the West Bank at the same time and just say, look, no more of these wars. Your audience says, you know, Hezbollah is attacking from the north, Hamas is attacking from Gaza. You know, who knows what you might do? I don't think they're stupid enough to do it right now. Uh, but uh, you know, and Egypt, if Egypt's firing missiles in the Sinai again, then there's a problem. You know, it's like land for peace. If you really want peace, you need to take back the land. It's the opposite of what they're all saying. You don't give up land for peace. You take land for peace. You take Gaza. You take the Golan. You take the Sinai. And you take the Bank, and then Israel will have a lot more peace. Well, but this is this is the other point I was leading up to is that um, um, Joe Biden, Joe Potato, um, just uh, set the price on an American taken hostage, an American kidnap victim, at $1.25 billion. Hmm. So, and everybody says, like, if you pay $6 billion for five Americans, um, what have you just done? You've just created an incentive mm-hmm. to kidnap more 
more Americans. Sure. And so, you know, and, 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 and now they're saying that, well, the, the $6 billion hasn't cleared yet. And people are debating about whether or not, you know, well, any of that money. Future attacks. <laughs> that'd be used for future attacks. That'd be used for future attacks. They're using previous money. You know, but uh, yeah. Right, but if you, you know, and it's true. It's like if you if you have a confirmed uh, wire transfer coming in for six billion dollars, and the bank can confirm it, they they may very well just say, you know, say, well, I'd like to borrow, I'd like an advance against that money. Sure. Um, so so well, there's a no, lot of they, debate. These weapons were bought a while ago. I mean, all these rocket launching now, and these paraglider things, this other stuff. You know, it, there's a, there's a good chance this stuff is already in their possession. My question is, where did it come from? How did they launch those par- – where did those paragliders from? If they launched them from Gaza, how, you know, uh, that's, that's – fa- I mean, where were they stored? Were they like, like garages and they just kind of, you know, where did they get off from? I mean, there's a lot of questions about that. We'll look into that. Let me – I want to change the subject slightly. We've got about 23 minutes left. And this is why I wish Pianca were back. If he's looking, he may click on this. But the question of, uh, of Palestinian state, there is no state. Uh, Lopez was clear on was clear on that. And here's an article by uh, the Times of Israel uh, by C. Land L A N D A Jr. from December 29th of 2014. So this would have been um, the end of Obama's or the middle of Obama's second term. This is why there is a Palestinian state. Um, here are some of the reasons. It's, it's a legitimate question. The answer to which just might hold the key to resolving the Israeli conflict. Why is there no independent Palestinian state? The many demagogues are quick to proclaim Israel as the culprit. Such an assertion flies in the face of the historical record. So, so I, I'm, now we're getting into the historical record. It's kind of interesting. Since the centuries prior to World War I, the Ottoman Turks, Muslim Empire, controlled a vast area of Africa, Europe, and the Levant. You remember when uh, he, uh, Obama used to say ISIL instead of ISIS? That was uh, the Levant. You know, that, it, that included Palestine. The Arabs and Jews of Palestine lived there as subjects of the Ottoman rule. The Ottomans did not establish an independent Palestinian state or a Jewish one. <clears throat> this is after the Ottomans fell in World War I, the French and British took control of the Levant and divided the region. I was talking about this in the first hour. The Arab states of Syria and Lebanon were created out of lands controlled by the French. Palestine was with the British sphere, and in 1917, the British, through Foreign Minister Lord Balor, B-A-L-O-R, whoop, big static there, Lord Balfour issued a declaration calling for the establishment of a Jewish homeland in Palestine. Okay, so he's technically right. There were, place, there were places called Palestine. I just don't recognize it now. And I think it's a, it's a made-up excuse to, uh, you know, terrorist bases to destroy Israel. Anyway, Balfour declaration did not call for the creation of an independent Palestinian state. But in 1921, some 80% of the territory designated for the British mandate of Palestine was carved out to create Transjordan. In other words, Jordan thereby excluding such land from the plan for a Jewish state. Today, Palestinians comprise more than half of Jordan's population. So this is what, this is what the Gaza, this is where the West Bank, uh, you know, Jordanians can Jordan. You know, so West Bank goes, this is the solution. West Bank goes back to Israel, Gaza goes back to Israel, Golan goes back, and Sinai goes back. Go back to what, the 73 boundaries? To the 73 war? Anyway, um, so just a bit more of this, just a little more here. And then your reaction. This is the remaining 20% of the British mandate was further divided by the UN in its 1947 partition plan, part for a Jewish state and part for a Palestinian Arab state. See, this was the mistake. They should have just made a Jewish state, right? Then this is the opportunity for a peaceful two-state two state solution was at hand. 
The Jews accepted the UN participation plan. The Palestinians did not. Big surprise. That continues today. Palestinians can only blame their own leaders for rejecting the UN plan, and many Palestinian Arabs joined forces with Egypt, Syria, Iraq, and Lebanon in a war to eradicate the, the native Israeli state in 1948. Many on both sides lost their lives, and the war created an enormous refugee problem, but it did nothing to advance the cause of a Palestinian state. This is written by Israeli. This is the Times of Israel. <laughs> it's, it's kind of interesting. But that was the problem. This two-state solution never worked. It didn't work with North and South Korea. It didn't work with North and South Vietnam. It didn't work with East and West Germany. <laughs> you know, it's not going to work with Palestine, imaginary, and Israel. You need a one-state solution. And Jordan is big enough, far bigger than Israel, to take all the, all the Palestinians you know, on Gaza and anywhere else in, in, uh, in, in Israel. What do you think? Well, I mean, the thing is, it's a complex topic, and most people are not ready to open their brain to some of these things. But, but, but I, I, no, I agree that, I mean, like, you know, that <clears throat> for the sake of today's discussions, you know, or these kinds of discussions, you know, you know to what extent does it mm-hmm. matter? And the reason it matters is because, um, is because the, these groups are taking the, you know, offense and provocation of Israel, Israel, Israel being yeah. on their land, which was never theirs. So um, they, um, you know, it's like, it's like I, I, I wonder if the fact that Crimea bo- belonged to the Ottoman Empire and Russia and Ukraine both stole it, you mm-hmm. know, if they would stop, they, you know, we, we, they, <clears throat> for our, for Ukraine's side and, and this side, they want to, have this big fight involving everybody else about who keeps to, who gets to keep Crimea when the answer is neither one of you, you know, should have Crimea. Um, and so um, the, uh, you know, it's the same kind of thing with, with this issue. It matters because they want to fight, you know, to the death about, about land that is not theirs. And, you know, and if you go back to the 18, late 1880s, there are some prominent um, <clears throat> reporters and, 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 adventurers, um, I think maybe like Mark Twain, I'm not, I don't forget, I forget, who went, who, who went through the Holy Land there, and they were stunned at how completely um, vacant it was. Hmm. You know, in the, in the, 18, in the eight, late 1800s, there's nobody there. Yeah. And, you know, this idea that, that, that the Palestinians have lived there for thousands of years or hundreds of years, whatever, is belied by the facts that there was nobody there. <laughs> and uh, and then 1917 uh, mm-hmm. was the Balfour Declaration, when right. um, uh, when England declared that the, that it's um, have the Ottoman Empire having collapsed, um, that they would um, they would um, have uh, 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 they would eventually they, well first of all remember the Ottoman Empire collapsed. And therefore, um, in England and other countries ended up, you know, not only wanting to control some of that land, but sort of mm-hmm. having to do it. Like, no, nobody's administering this land. We've got to, that's like where they got this mandate. And then they say um, uh, that, you know, eventually we'll, 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 we'll transition this to being a homeland for Israel. Um, now, you know, no one is more dishonest than than diplomats from England 
Um, hmm. uh, but, but eventually the idea to suddenly people from Yemen, Jordan, you know, um, <clears throat> all Egypt, all around the Muslim world rush in to claim the land and block the Jews from having a homeland there. And, and there's, they have a doctrine that if, um, if something has ever been Muslim, um, it can't ever go back. Mm-hmm. So to them, it's the equivalent of, of um, this is one of our holy sites that for, you know, forever. Uh, in that the idea is like they can, that Islam can never take one inch step backward. So it is, it is a holy offense to take back what they stole. Yeah. And uh, um, so, so, <clears throat> so there you have, and the questions people have to ask is, okay, tell me who is, you know, who was the leader of Palestine uh, before, uh, say, 1948 or 1917, 1967? Give, give me the name of a national, you know, leader like George Washington. You know, what kind of um, government did they have? You know, mm-hmm. what, where is, um, there, there is no Palestinian language. It's just, it's just you know, it's just, middle, you know, yeah. Arab. Um, you know, if, if well, it's made up term. A, uh, there's, there's Jordanian, what? Egyptian, the Jordanian, Egyptian, Syrian, all these different places. But all those are made up countries too. Well, Egypt's probably the only place with original borders. Uh, I would think North Africa is a little different. But Syria and Lebanon were made up by the French. Iraq, the British created out of just drawing lines on a map. You know, the the, the Israel and Palestine situation. You know, is uh, I mean, the land's biblically Israel. And it makes sense to have a Jewish state in Israel. And there's plenty of Arab states, you know, Egypt, Saudi Arabia, Iran, Iraq, you know, Jordan, right. Lebanon, all these well, different that, places. So, so it's not like they, they have to occupy Israel. <laughs> but the idea yeah, I think, of, I think, yeah. <clears throat> yeah, Muslim lands, I think, are some, you know, const, I forget the number, but it constitutes something like 100 times as much territory as Israel. Oh, easily, easily. There's, there's plenty of, I mean, it's like, you know, it, it, there's, there, there's, there, there's not, and the other thing that happened is, is like the right of return. Mm-hmm. When in 1967, when they announced that, it, when the um, Arab states were going to attack and destroy Israel, they told the people of Palestine, leave your houses, get out so we can slaughter the Jews and then you can come back. Mm-hmm. And you know, so the, the reason why the reason why the Palestinians left is because the the Arabs invading Israel told asked them to, mm-hmm. and they never got came back because Israel won. Um, mm. And now they have to agree with that's that's Israel's fault that they left voluntarily to help facilitate the slaughter and murder of more Jews, and that's of course Israel's fault. Um, <clears throat> and uh, so. Well, let me go into a bit of the history here because it's, it's it's kind of interesting. You were talking about we've covered a bunch of different dates, and this the same article from the Times of Israel by C. Lander Jr. says Israel prevailed in the 1948 war, but for the next 19 years Jordan occupied the West Bank. That's what Israel, Judea, and Samaria. Look at a map, folks. It, it, it makes a lot more sense. Anyway, this is the region now proposed as the heart of a Palestinian state. Again, there's never been. Uh, a, a lawful Palestinian state with a, with a Palestinian government, a Palestinian language, Palestinian culture. These are all Arabs from different countries. Anyway, it says, just as the UN proposed in 1947, uh, anyway, it says, one might ask why Jordan did not establish a Palestinian state in the West Bank, which, whatever the answer may be, the blame does not lie with Israel. It says, the status of the West Bank 
changed in 1967. Israel, again facing a war of extermination by its Arab neighbors, not only prevailed, but pushed back its would-be conquerors, thereby taking control of the, quote, occupied territories. And this is why they put the settlements there. Venice is the UN called for land for peace, which never works. You just give up land. Uh, in Resolution 242, Israel had taken possession of new territories in a war it did not seek, now at least had tangible bargaining power. So that's what you've talked about before. You take in a war. You know, that, that's the boundaries change. I mean, look at Poland. <laughs> you know, I don't think Poland is anywhere near where it was before World War One. Uh, and the last one right. here says in 19. Uh, well, let me get your comment so far. So we got 1948 war. We got the 1967 war. And Jordan's, you know, sitting fat and happy with a whole big country. And yet they want to create the, the, this, this so-called Palestinian state in the West Bank. Well, the West Bank cuts so far into Israel, it makes no sense to have the West Bank be anything but. Israel. That's the West Bank of the Jordan River, right? If I have my stats correct, or what is West Bank? So, yeah. Because, I mean, historic historic Israel was huge in comparison to modern day. So, huh. so I, I believe on both sides of the of the um, uh, of the Jordan. So, in other words, on the, on the western, on the eastern side of the Jordan River, that's Jordan. On the western side should be Israel, but Jordan claims part of the western side too, the West Bank. Right? Right. <clears throat> okay. I can look so, for a map so, of historical Israel. Yeah. Well, the thing is, I, I don't know that we can solve all that in one uh, in one thing, but the um, <clears throat> the um, you know it, it is it is a difficult uh, mm-hmm. situation. Like I say, is that is that um, not for me. <laughs> one state solution. I, I, I'm, a, I'm a one state solution guy. Israel. All right. Yeah. Well, but the thing is, is that this attack is like unambiguous. Mm-hmm. Um, it's, it's it's not. You know, it's not it's not some muddy thing that got out of control. Mm-hmm. It's um, it's just uh, it, it's just clearly, you know, an, an, an attack an attack on them. And um, oh, of course it is. But, but two states don't work, though. Like I said, we talked about this earlier. You know, Korea is still split, and they're still at war, and that's not settled. Vietnam, despite being a communist nation, you don't hear any problems coming out of Vietnam other than the obvious you know, oppression. We have listeners in Vietnam. I'd love to hear from them. But uh, Vietnam, once, the, once it was settled, the, the North and South were gone, it stabilized. North Korea has never stabilized because they still maintain these artificial UN borders. Uh, Germany. You know, remember, I went, I crossed the Berlin Wall at Checkpoint Charlie. I went into East Germany. The comparison to East Germany and, and, and West Germany are, are unbelievable. It's night and day. And Germany was always mm-hmm. in conflict until the country unified. You can't have two states. Two states don't work. All of this is create conflict. John? Well, <laughs> I mean, I don't... <clears throat> I mean, when we say two states, I think what we mean is appeasement, is, is land that, that un, undisputably has belonged to, to, to Israel, to Israelites, mm-hmm. for right. thousands of years. Mm-hmm. Um, and, um, and we're going we're gonna to split it in half and, and, and hope that the other guys play nice. Yeah, for people that uh, don't need to be there, deserve to be there, can't legally be there, and yet they want to, yeah, this is, to me, this is just a way to destroy Israel. 
Is the only reason well, to, to keep pushing this two-state thing is to destroy Israel. Well, yeah, sure. So, but the thing is, is that um, when you have um, oh shoot, what was I just going to say? Um, so, uh, but remember, people want to say that it, it, they, they want to say it's an apartheid state and all this kind of thing. There are members of this, you know, for those <clears throat> Palestinians practicing the Muslim religion, not Palestinian Christians or something necessarily. Mm-hmm. They have been members of the Supreme Court of, yeah. of um, Israel. They've been members of the Parliament of Israel, the Knesset. <laughs> They've been members of the cabinet. <clears throat> I think there's more than a million Palestinians who are voting citizens of Israel. And well, I think they're Arab Israelis. What they, I don't think they're necessarily Palestinians. But the point is that Israel is open to people that want to be loyal to Israel. And if you're yeah. Arab or Muslim, that's not the issue. The issue is, are you trying to destroy Israel? Or loyal to Israel—that's that, 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 you know—and uh, people would, would be. This is a great point that people would be surprised to learn how many uh, Arabs there are in Israel doing just fine and happy to be there because it's a prosperous and a free country, much better than the country they came from. Same reason that people would come right. here. And if you had a gated community, for example, right. one family um, insists upon shooting at everybody, <laughs> and you know, setting cars on fire. And, 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 every, and all kinds of, you know, throwing a, a ball rocket. You say, look, I, I realize that you live here, but you got to go. You know, if you can't live peacefully with everybody else, you know, we just can't have this. Yeah. I mean, nobody, you know, that, would be, that would be normal. And so whether, mm-hmm. whatever the history is of the Palestinians, if you can't, um, if you can't coexist, then I'm sorry, you know, you've, you've voided your own ticket. Um, well, the Constitution says that. Uh, the Constitution calls for the destruction, the annihilation of Israel. Mm-hmm. That's, what the, that's what the Hamas Constitution says. Oh, they, they amended it, uh, I guess, you know, not too long ago. But basically, Sorry. it still says it, Israel has to be destroyed. That's, that's their government. That's their official government policy. That's like, our, you know, that's like their Constitution. Let me get a couple more points. We've got uh, Dorothy's going to join us in just a few minutes. I want to get a little bit more of the history in here. And I'll pick this up again. Oh, God, probably Thursday. Um, he says, this is the Times of Israel, C. Lander Jr. says, in 1979, Israel returned the Sinai Peninsula to Egypt in a historic land for peace deal. I remember watching that with Yasser Arafat and Menachem Begin. I remember when Jimmy Carter, I remember watching that whole thing. Anyway, it says, the resulting peace treaty, which still holds today, proved that land for peace can work when Israel has a true partner in peace. That would be Egypt. Egypt's Anwar Sadat was indeed such a partner. Of course, they killed him for it. And far more. He was a courageous visionary willing to take bold steps to break the cycle of violence that has long plagued Arab-Israeli relations. Yet the reaction of the Arab neighbors was as revealing as it was appalling. They branded Sadat a traitor, and Egypt became a reviled outcast, I guess until Hosni Mubarak. The Arab League suspended Egypt and imposed economic sanctions against it. Egypt was ousted from the Organization of Arab Petroleum Exporting Countries, that would be OPEC. Within two years, Sadat was assassinated by members of the Egyptian Islamic Jihad. Then it says, so too are powerful Palestinian factions an anathema to peace in, with Israel. Significant progress was made in Oslo in 1993, those would be the Oslo Accords, with the PLO, and that would be under Yasser Arafat, agreeing to renounce terrorism and to recognize Israel's right to exist in peace. But Hamas, here we go, a Palestinian offshoot of the Muslim Brotherhood. So this is where I'm going to start tracing these folks. This is why I need Claire back here. So Hamas comes from the Muslim Brotherhood, which ran Egypt under, under Robert Morsi, right? And also met with, with Obama a whole bunch of times. Anyway, it says, responded to the Oslo, Oslo with harsh opposition and ramped up suicide bombing Israel. 
And in 2000, another opportunity for Palestinian statehood was squandered, because I don't believe in Palestinian statehood, but that's me. About 95% of the West Bank was offered to the Palestinians in the Camp David peace talks, along with additional territory within pre-1967 Israel. Well, that was stupid with parts of East Jerusalem to serve as the capital of a Palestinian state, and Gaza was included as well, but that effort was rejected by the Palestinians. This is, so when you hear the call for a Palestinian state interwoven with anti-Israeli demagoguery, ask three questions. This gets to what you're talking about, Jonathan. What would have happened had the Palestinians accepted the UN partition of 47? What would have happened had the Palestinians accepted the proposal for statehood at Camp David in 2000? And three, why did the Palestinian leadership reject these opportunities? And I think we know the answer, but what's your answer? I, well, I, no, I think it could have been very different. I mean, I think, I think the Egyptian piece is, was an, is an amazing study <clears throat> in um, diplomacy. Uh, and, uh, but, but again, the, the hardcore extremist jihadi version of mm-hmm. Islam is that, you know, if, as I've said, is, is, if any place or spot or person is Islamic for five minutes, then mm-hmm. it's, it, then it, it can never go back. It's like, like Barack it, Obama, Islam, for example. What? <laughs> like Barack Obama, for example. Well, yeah. I mean, the, um, um, so, uh, uh, well, that's a whole nother topic. That's why I'm moving. <laughs> but, yeah. That, that, that basically, basically, at least in the eyes of the Muslim world, Barack Obama is Muslim. Because yep. once Muslim, always Muslim. Exactly. And, uh, you know, I don't care if he's up there baptizing people in a Catholic cathedral. The, the, <laughs> the view of Islamic view is like, well, you were Muslim in Indonesia growing up, so you're always Muslim. There's no such thing as, as any property or land or anything else like that that used to be Muslim. That, that cannot exist in their theology. Um, and, um, you know, so, and remember that the, the, the Jordan kicked the Palestinians out. The Palestinians in li- living in Jordan were so violent and crime-ridden and such troublemakers that even their oh. own their own brothers kicked them out. I had Jordan. forgotten that. So nobody wants the Palestinians. That's why they throw them into Egypt. So these people better shape up or, and go somewhere and, and live respectable lives. Otherwise, this this nonsense can't continue. So when when was that? When when did Jordan kick out uh, Palestinians? Oh, I don't remember exactly, but but it was. Um, you know, it was, uh-huh. they, 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 they gave it a go, as the English would say. Now, others would say that, no, that was, is that the, the Arab world, the Muslim world has tried to incite conflict right, to, to prevent it from being solved. So, they, you know, part of this is to force them into these small res- reservations was to, was to uh, fan the flames of conflict. Uh, yeah. But, but well, anyway, that's what that Yeah. Let me just do I got one quick thing to, to share with you here. This is from the Wall Street Journal. Iran helped plot attack on Israel over several weeks. And this is from Summer Sayyid. And this was October 8th. So this is yesterday. Uh, it says uh, the Islamic Revolutionary Guard Corps gave the final go-ahead last Monday in Beirut. This is where it gets really interesting. Dubai. Iranian security officials helped plan Hamas's Saturday surprise attack on Israel and gave the green light for the assault at a meeting in Beirut last Monday, according to senior members of Hamas and Hezbollah, another Iran-backed militant group. Of course, Hezbollah is attacking from, from the north, from Golan. Officers of Iran's Islamic Revolutionary Guard, we've heard about them from, uh, you know, from the Iraq War, uh, had worked with Hamas since August 
to devise the air, land, and sea incursions, the most significant breach of Israel's borders since 1963. Details of the operation were refined during several meetings in Beirut attended by IRGC, the Iranian Revolutionary Guard, officers and representatives of four Iran-backed militant groups, including Hamas, which holds power in Gaza, and Hezbollah, a Shiite militant group and political faction in Lebanon. U.S. officials say they haven't seen evidence of Tehran's involvement. <clears throat> yeah, right. Uh, in an interview with CNN that aired Sunday, Secretary of State Anthony Blinken said, we have not yet seen evidence that Iran directed or was behind this particular attack, but there is certainly a long relationship. Of course, that means they are. <laughs> you know, so what do you think of that? Right. Well, of course, when you, you know, unless they take their blindfolds off, they never will see them, the evidence. But, but, but again, the, um, um, the, I mean, that, the, the Iran and, and Hamas kind of exist for this purpose. So it's, it's, it's a little hard to, mm-hmm. to believe. Um, and, and, and anyway, so, so I, you know, I, I don't know how long it would take. I mean, apparently the, there's a stunning number of places where they crossed the border and entered into things. So it would probably take a tremendous amount of planning. And, and, mm-hmm. and preparation and rehearsal. And coordination. Uh, yeah, because all this stuff, this didn't happen spontaneously. It's all coordinated. Right. I mean, it isn't like one one place on the border, a whole bunch of people poured through. Right. It's like yeah. there were simultaneous attacks all along the border, and mm-hmm. which is one of the reasons why they were able to get so far is because there was no one place to stop them. Um, so, yeah, I get Dorothy, now, so what, we're gonna we're gonna sum up here um, pretty quickly. Right. But this is this has been pretty pretty. Uh, uh, I, I know we've been all over the place on this, but there's so many different inter, intertwining factors. That's kind of how it works out. So, uh, so what, what do you think is going to happen? What's your what's your projection on this? I I think of course Netanyahu's had his his political difficulties recently, and mm-hmm. this happened on his watch. I think he will have to and should go in and flatten Gaza. I mean, at least okay. consciously. I, mean, he, I think the goal would be to, I mean, the sensible goal would be to um, uh, confiscate weapons. Mm-hmm. But of course, there's a continual flow of, of smuggled weapons in, so I don't know how successful that will be. But, you know, I, I think, I think he, ha- he has to disarm Gaza. Um, and, and we'll see. We've got, in the, 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 there's uh, about 50. Harvard and other Ivy League groups just came out in support of um, of um, out of the Hamas. Of course, they in do. Our, you know, and uh, yeah. th- those are you know future leaders of the country are, are in favor of massacres. And wh- why do wh- why do Jews keep voting for Democrats? I don't understand. I mean, not just Dem- <laughs> I mean, we used to have Dem- that's a different Dem- show. <laughs> that's a different show, John. It, it is. I mean, we're not we're not talking about like you know um, Scoop Jackson Democrats. We're talking about you know insane yeah. anti-Semite, um, you know, you know le- leftists. Well, anyway, all right. I, I know you got to go. Okay. Thanks, Jonathan. We'll talk to you next week. All right. Talk to you soon. Thank you, bye. All right. Bye now. Sex. Everybody talks about it. Some of you are even doing it. But are you really talking to the person you are doing it with? It all comes down to communication. That's where Dorothy Diana comes in. Dorothy is a sexual health nurse educator. She has studied hypnotherapy, Reiki, and many other disciplines. 
And what is sex without sensuality? Something has to light your afterburner. Join us now for a sometimes very frank and occasionally quite descriptive conversation of sex and sensuality with Dorothy Diana. Who's dropping things in the background? <laughs> Am I? Oh, you can hear that? I'm lighting my candles. Oh, okay. um, feel free to light your candles. Well, I always remember that, uh, in fact, if you listen uh, on either headset or, or headphone, you'll hear it say unmute. So a little voice I goes, hear that. unmute. Yes, I like to get you live so that I don't forget to make you live when you're actually, you know, talking and you're just talking to yourself because that's no fun. But uh, before we get started, <laughs> I, need to, I, I need a cleansing breath. I, I need to take a deep Bless breath. I love that. Let's do let's do an intentional one. Would you like to? Okay, I, would, I would love that also. Let's I've been talking politics together. too much. Um, I've been talking war. I need, I need to get the war out of my it. system. Mm, well, I heard some of it, and it feels very intense in my body. It feels, I'm going to be honest, a little scary. I know mm. I'm not understanding. I'm not understanding all of it, but um, I'm understanding. I'm understanding <laughs> some of it. Well, yeah. I want to, and I'll tell you. I get excited about prepping for my show, and then I start going down a rabbit hole, and um, I probably way too much, way too much live... content. And so, no, 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 I no, no, bite, no, never. Well, no, I bike to it. the coffee shop, and I start to review <laughs> what I want to talk about, and then I get excited and get down this path and this. Uh, anyway, so I try to listen to the last few minutes so that I know kind of the vibe of what's happening. But mm-hmm. that topic was was intense for sure, as it as it should be. Should have heard the whole two hours. <laughs> I mean, I started the first hour, and then Jonathan joined us a little bit early, and Pianchi was in for a bit too. And then, uh, and then we, we, Jonathan and I finished it up, and I had several articles and complications and questions. We're gonna be doing this for a while. So anyway, I want to get out of it. Yeah, because it's to huge you. So and it's heavy, and people yeah. are dying, and we care, yep. and we uh-huh. care, and it's important to get to the bottom of who's in charge, what's really happening, and how do we overall just help people be happy and free and. You know, your angle on that is over here and mine's over here, but it's all the same mm-hmm. part, right? Mm-hmm. Yep. My, my, uh, my contention, it's, a, it's an Obama-Iran joint operation using Hamas and American taxpayer dollars to help destroy Israel. That's, that's the bottom line. And, and here's the question. Why? What's the spiritual, like, if we go super deep, we can go, we can go physical, but also, like, like it's, that's Oh, huge, it's in the charter. Right? It's in the charter of Hamas, and it used to be under the PLO that Israel has to be annihilated and destroyed. I mean, the, the children in in, uh, in in Gaza and other places. I don't say Palestine because there really isn't a Palestine. It's, it's a made-up thing that the British did. Um, but they have maps that don't include Israel in the Middle East. It's not there. So as far as they're concerned, it's not there. You know, it's that bad. Well, I don't want to get too deep on this because you already talked about no. it for so long. But I know. Cleansing breath. I was just just to Cleansing say breath. I love that you're you're doing that and you're addressing it because I certainly don't want to. I want, yep. I want the bullet points and h- how to pray. And that's what well, that was it. <laughs> Obama, Iran, Hamas, money, terrorist, destroy Israel. That's it. Well, I trust, I trust your view because I feel like you pick things apart in a, in a, I'm curious to know, not I'm coming from this for, from a bias and a viewpoint that I need supported, but more no, like. No, I'm biased. Huh. I'm, I'm a one-state solution person. I'm incredibly biased. <laughs> but I still report everything I can. But anyway, enough of that. Well, we all have bias. What I'm saying is I feel like mm-hmm. you're hopefully, well, I mean, in my experience, at least open to other ideas. Like when I talk about gender inclusivity and embryological gender, um, mm-hmm. like what happens embryologically with sex and gender, 
you know, yeah. you gave some pushback, but in the end you were like, okay, there's room for that. You know, there's room for, no, I'm always open. It's not a choice. I, it's biological. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But I might make decisions too. I mean, and I, I take a position on things. So I'm open to the information and then I'll make a decision or an opinion. Uh, and at that and point, God I'm still open. You. Well, <laughs> and if God wants you in a certain direction, you're going to keep getting pushed. And so, you oh, know, no right. So right, you're <laughs> open, bit. open, open, curious, and then asking yep. what is the truth here. Right. Okay. Hey, we, so we have a trans socialist progressive reporter. I mean, you know, this is, this is, uh, <clears throat> we're breaking new ground here all the time. Let's do, um, shall we do a set of three cleansing breaths? We're yes, going to breathe. Please. I'll tell you what we're doing first so we can do it together. Obviously okay. your own pace, but um, we'll both be doing it kind of together. So we're going to inhale. Don't mm-hmm. start yet. Look at me being controlling. We're going to inhale okay. for four, hold for four, exhale for four, and hold at the bottom for four. And okay. just do a set of three of those. All right, let's go ahead and start. This is live radio, but we're breathing. Breathing in again. Breathing out. Marco in the Netherlands <laughs> is wondering what we're doing. Don't laugh. This is serious stuff. Breathing we're doing in again, Marco. Square breathing. Square Marco, are you breathing? breathing? Inhaling for four. And I finished. I have big lungs. I played tuba for years. Okay. I'm good now. That actually works. I feel much better. Thank you. So what do you want to talk about? Dorothy? Hello, Dorothy. (laughs) Let's start. So... (laughs) I just thought something really funny. Jonathan has a has a um, a, a congestion issue, and uh, and mm-hmm. he tends to cough when he talks. And and uh, Marco was finding it rather disturbing. He says it's a good thing uh, didn't my last guest uh, do that. He might uh, he might have had some. Well, I'll live chat. I'll let you go. But anyway, yeah, Jonathan, uh, Jonathan can't help that, Marco. Just to let you know, Jonathan, just... you know, smoking mullen is a great anti lung decongestion and anti inflammatory, which is kind oh. of a secret. That people don't know about. We always think smoking is so like bad, that. but there are several yeah. several herbs yeah. you can smoke that actually are lung healing. But that's not our topic huh. today. Today it's sex ed. Sex yeah. ed. So uh, um, this is a really cheerful, happy topic for me. Um, mm. When I realized mm. when I when I well, I didn't get great sex ed. I was in Catholic school and I didn't. Oh my goodness. Wasn't I? I got a great big feeling of body shame. My sexuality was very strong. I had a you, lot of got, strong sexual feelings. And I was very, like, ashamed and secreted and confused about him. And as I got oh. older, I took the opposite approach and pushed back and got loud and raunchy and um, kind of over-sexualized. And that's what a lot of women end up doing. They end up pushing back. And there's different ways women push back against the messages, but they're not really oh. healthy usually. So the best right. thing you can do is start at mm-hmm. a young age and um, create body positivity. <clears throat> and that is tons of years of research on this. We look at the Netherlands, Cambodia, Bangladesh, countries that have a natural cultural sexual body positivity from a young age. It's part of their culture. And their teen pregnancy rate is low, 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 like much Hmm. lower than the U.S. 
that's not the only link, evidence link. There's a lot. But, <clears throat> and there's people who have devoted their lives to honestly trying to help children, teens, adolescents, and adults feel amazing about their bodies, make great sex choices, <clears throat> great intimacy choices, um, and just have a lot of confidence. And they spend their lives researching this. And they come together and they create programs. And um, I'm very grateful for those, and that's what I'm going to speak to today. How do, how do we turn out adults that are not, um, not body disconnected? So, you know, I work with somatic movement therapy for adults, for women that have some body disconnect, body shame, and want to reclaim their sexuality. And so I hear a lot of these stories. So how do we turn out? And, and they're common. They're not, it's not a rare, like, disease. It's, it's ubiquitous walking through the world. Almost every person that you encounter who was raised in the U.S., unless their parents or school was extremely special, has a degree of body disconnect, body shame, sexual confusion, um, intimacy issues. <clears throat> and a lot of those can be totally prevented by, by really good early childhood sex education. So that is, so that is the from? why. Does it go back to Puritans? Mm-hmm. Does it go back to England? Does it go back? <clears throat> is it something about American culture that we would kind of compartmentalize everything, or is it uh, where, where did that come from? Do you think? Yeah, isn't that an interesting, wonderful, countries. gigantic yeah. question? So yes, yeah. it comes back from Purit- comes from Puritan culture, religiosity, um, then science, science being heavily influenced by religiosity and Puritanism. And What's religiosity? And- That's a new word. I haven't heard that before. Oh, do you like it? I do. Well, you can say it a few times and it feels good in your mouth. <laughs> That's a nice <laughs> do thing. Do a lot of words, but you know, anyway. Religiosity. Okay. You know. okay. Religiosity. Yeah, so, um, well, we know, we probably know that even up to today, we don't have a great divide between science and politics. And religion hmm. was politics, right, for most of humanity. Oh, yeah. Unfortunately, not spirituality, but religion is politics. So, <clears throat> the religious political influence oh, on sex education is yeah. is the problem. Is the problem. <laughs> it's not part of the problem. It is the problem. And I am very prayerful. That being said, it's not about spirituality. It's about politics and power. So even if you go back to the eighties and nineties, they passed these laws and these bills to make abstinence only education the only federally funded sex ed. And that mm-hmm. doesn't work. And at the time, the research showed it didn't work for years. And, um, and it, when you teach kids and adults about the pleasures of sexuality with how to be safe, how to own your body, how to have boundaries, how to feel into what's right for you, how to check mm-hmm. in with your values, with your family and culture, and kind of get really real about your own values and um, what health is, what infection is, like all the information, and yes, it's pleasurable. Yes, it's wonderful. I've had an amazing, intimate relationship. All of those things together are what's important for making great choices. And the people that have those make excellent choices in all so, the areas of intimacy. So I'm curious about these mm-hmm. other countries. Are they? Are they? Are, they're having sex, but they're just being careful, or are they not having as so much sex, or because they, you know, they they are body aware, or uh, they're having tons of sex, but because, you know, birth control, they're just not getting pregnant. What's, 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 you're talking about teen so birth there's, rate? There's a what's, what's going on? It depends on what country. That's a really broad question. And it depends on okay. the country and the culture of the country. However, mm. what they have in common is that sexuality is as, is as um, natural as breathing. 
from a young right. age, and there's not the sense of so maybe uh, let's for, say for instance, and I love that Mark listens. He could speak to this. Um, the Dutch people I've talked to um, have the ideas of nudity in the home that are not like most Americans. And if you ever go to European beaches, you'll see that the children run around naked to a late age and nobody thinks mm-hmm. a thing of it. And nude beaches are common. It doesn't mean people are banging all over the beach behind pieces of driftwood. It just, <laughs> it just is a openness about the body as a natural yeah. thing, right? And that starts in early childhood. Travels beaches, too. Parents, I saw lots of parents, beaches in when parents, Yes, and you are a parent, and I'm a parent, and then when you're paying attention, you notice at an early age the messages kids are getting. And it's coming mm-hmm. from TV, and it's coming from um, social media that sex is super dirty and super powerful and super adult. And, you know, ooh, this body part is so kinky and secret and naughty. We're going to call it all these names, and you're not allowed to touch it. <clears throat> But here's all these adults touching it all over your social media, doing all kinds of crazy things with it. Like <laughs> kind of a mixed message. In America, yeah, yeah, are so confusing. So my favorite sex ed program that I just am so delighted with, and I'd like to teach this again. It's been too long. Um, it's called, it's from Advocates of Youth, and it's called The Three R's. And it's based on years of research from some of the top sexual researchers in the country that are Mm -hmm. focused on children and education. And so in age kindergarten, you start teaching um, about naming body parts in a really gentle, sweet way so that elbow and knee have the same feeling when discussed as anus, vulva, and penis with the added information that in our culture they're private. And then the added information of body ownership. And so this is all very age appropriate and developmentally appropriate, right? Mm-hmm. And so it just, it starts very early with like kind of fun games and really sweet um, lectures, um, short and about what they're for, what the body parts are for, and then continuing on <clears throat> very sweet ways to start teaching about health and, and body claiming. You know, like you hug your body. This is my body. Whose body is it? My body. Whose face is it? My face. And the kids get to yell and shout. And um, that kind of thing in kindergarten paves the way for what you ending up with adults that have body ownership, do not have body disconnect, and um, are very proud of their body parts versus feeling certain shame with certain body parts which is ubiquitous with women. The women I teach, that's very, very common. <clears throat> hmm. I'd be curious how that, that works exactly because, you know, the, the private parts are private. You don't want to make them public parts, you know. And mm-hmm. so how do you distinguish between talking about elbows and, you know, other parts? It's just, I just, I'm curious. Okay. How that would, yeah. So yeah. you can tell kids, um, You know, we're going to talk about bodies, Um, body parts everyone has in common. Some parts we have are different, and some parts are covered when we are in public, right? And so you begin to introduce the concept like you want to be culturally competent, right? So if you're living in an island country or someplace where the women don't cover their breasts, you wouldn't include that. Like it wouldn't be a topic. In Mm. the U.S., we cover breasts and anuses and genitals. Um, upper thighs used to be not so much anymore, but you know, that very matter of fact, they, they know by kindergarten, by kindergarten, they know that some body parts, parts are covered. If you ever watch a three-year-old, they couldn't care less 
what you say. But, I mean, you can scold them all you want and shame them all you want, but right, they don't um, care. Yeah. No, but by five, like, you know. <laughs> yeah. yeah, by five, they're they're pretty aware and they love these classes and they're like all up raising their hands, okay. and telling stories, and the ones that have had correct body part naming, you can see pretty clearly they're very confident about this conversation, <laughs> very contributing, yeah. and and then so Does you it... also ask them. Mm-hmm. Go ahead. Yeah. Oh, does it make a difference? Uh, like uh, people that grow up with, like brothers and sisters, who might see each other oh, naked, and, oh and, and it's no big deal, right? <laughs> and so they think, wow, well, if my sister looks like this, I guess the rest of the girls do too. And the girls like, well, if my brother looks like this, then I guess the boys, you know, look the same. I think it's and, and very, so- very healthy, especially if the parents um, aren't aren't doing any body shaming at all. So uh-huh. again, it's a balance. You know, we have private and. And there comes an age where I don't care how open the family is, that bathroom door is getting locked, and that kid's wearing a towel to go from his room to the – and that's super healthy, too. There's, a, there's usually a phase in most kids where it doesn't matter what the family or culture is. You know, within reason, there, there's a body privacy phase. And so um, – mm-hmm. and that's super – and that should be respected, and that's very healthy, you know. Mm-hmm. But um, you get a third child in a sex ed classroom in kindergarten – and they could pretty much teach the class if the parents had been even remotely giving them information because, you know, whatever you tell the oldest, the youngest overhears. <laughs> so, uh-huh. um, that's kind of cute when that happens. But, yeah. You know, and then you also cover, like, what, what words have you heard? What, what other words have we heard besides vulva and anus and penis? What words have you heard about body parts? And then if that's you know, the family value, you don't, you don't shame it or judge it. You say, yes, yeah. so some people have different words for them. Why do you think it's important to know the scientific terms? And then you might ask them, is, is it important? Like, and it's important like, if you have a, you know, a pain or a, you want to be able to tell somebody what hurts, right? You want to tell them oh, the yeah, that makes for what hurts. The, the they, and, so it's words, a word that we all, yeah. Yeah. We've talked about this before. Scientific a word we words all can terrible. Use. So, you might say like, wee-wee, they might say la-la, they might say hoochie, but if you say to the school nurse, my vagina right. hurts or my vulva hurts, right. then she knows what you're talking about, and she can call your mom, and we can okay. take care of it. You know what I'm saying. And that's important to prevent, obviously, also sexual predators, which we don't talk a lot about to children. There's some mixed science about how valuable that is. Ooh, what that's you do instead, yeah, yeah. So that okay. can be really traumatic if not approached the right way. It can really give a well, lot of fear about. Especially because you might suffered yeah. it. What if you say something that says, "Well, this can happen to you," and there's some in the class where it did. You know, that can be incredibly yeah. traumatic. I would think. We don't. Yeah. So that's not good. That's not good yeah. science-based sex ed, which is why huh. it's really important to have really well-trained facilitators in every county, because uh-huh. you're right. An, an uninformed um, facilitator going on their own values of their own whatever can really can mm-hmm. cause damage yes um, and the other know. way too if you have a facilitator that has been raped for example you know is going to mm-hmm. maybe have that's going to that's going to be with them for the rest of their life that's going to come into the into uh, the conversations and they might be overly um protective of, of the female students maybe overly aggressive against the men and the only reason i, I mean that is, that is because, you so know, damaging. i had a teacher you know, yeah, that's, yeah so the, the reason that that so my favorite sex coach in the country patty Britton. And there's many uh-huh. others. There's a program. You go through a program. So, you know, I have my postmasters in sexual health. Um, right. Not – anyway, you go through something called SARS, S-A-R-S, and that actually does exactly that. It, it, it's a very specific, well-done program that helps you identify your own 
trauma and baggage so that you do okay. not bring it into the classroom. So you do right. not bring it into the therapy office. That is absolutely so that's a good idea. That's, that's unconscionable. Unconscionable. Really reassuring. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Hey, question I thought yeah, of so everyone who's teaching get, should go yeah. through SARS, I believe. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Before we okay. get too far away from this, we were talking about, you know, brothers yeah. and sisters. Should children see their parents naked? Now that's a big, that's a big, so should, I don't like to use first of all, because it's a little shaming because it feels like if oh. I didn't, then I'm wrong. Well, you know, should or if you did, you're wrong, okay. depending on how you look at it. You know, uh, uh, well, because we're um, talking so about, should, in other words, yeah. for non-body shaming purposes. That's how I use the yeah. term "should." So, what are the, in a natural what are the, setting, what are the pros think and about cons? what happens. What happens in a natural setting? So, children uh-huh. do not have the ideas about bodies as we do. They don't see that the breasts. They see in a natural setting, you see breasts everywhere. Babies are being fed right and left by by multiple women with all the different shapes of breasts. And if you think of a little girl growing up seeing that, first of all, she comes to adulthood knowing that breasts are all different shapes and sizes and that the primary purpose is feeding babies. And also, Mm -hmm. if you're really in a natural setting, she's going to know they also feel good. And um, in other other ways, they might be used as a little intimate. And that might have been, uh, she might have gotten glimpses of that here and there and heard jokes with the women. And that's all so healthy and wonderful. Um, and, uh-huh. and a lot of, so we didn't really need sex ed in certain cultures at all, body positive sex ed, because everything was out in the open and very positive already, right? But our culture doesn't have that. So seeing parents naked absolutely is not harmful to children at all. What's harmful uh-huh. is, is the parent's reaction or behavior about it. So if, uh-huh. you're going around naked, if you're going around naked and it's making you horny that your child's looking at you, you need to go have therapy and figure out why you're sexually aroused by your child looking at you. I think that's very rare. Um, but if you're going so. from the bathroom to, if you're, well, that's, all, so let's be yeah. honest, that's the fear. Yeah. The fear right. parents have, the fear adults have is, oh, it's going to pervert them. Oh, it's inappropriate. Oh, they're not ready to see full-grown breasts. No, right. they actually need to see adult bodies. But in a okay. natural setting, like an adult walking from the bathroom to the bedroom, like, and if your family is a little more shy culturally or like an extended family, and that's just the values of the family, to say, oh, I'm sorry, I'm just going to run <laughs> and make a joke about it. Um, there's nothing wrong with that at all. Um, now they're seeing privacy as a value, and they're also seeing it's not that big of a deal, you know, as a value. Okay. So I think, I think the extremes are the problem when there's never any allowance for certain body parts to be seen, that gives a very strong feeling of shame and secrecy to a child. So, you know, that's why breastfeeding is so great because, you know, you have a reason that the breasts are out there and it's a very nourishing, beautiful reason and everyone can have a conversation around it and um, lovely. Huh. No, I just, I, yeah. Okay. What is your opinion on that? Uh, oh, about, about parents and kids? Nudity and adults and children, yeah. Hmm. It really depends on the context. I mean, it would have to be, I mean, uh, I don't know. This is, that's why I asked the question. Um, because yeah. I know, you know, like, my folks were pretty open. And yeah. you know, it bothered me when I was, like, five. I was like, why am I seeing this? <laughs> you know, and so that was my initial reaction. Okay, it bothered um, you. Because do you remember, was it five the first time you saw that? or? It's probably four or five, yeah. 
Yeah. But uh, but it was you know my folks were liberal and very you know they, they just uh, that was to them that was just something that uh, that I should see and I was like why am I doing this? It's like you never want to think of your parents as having sex. It's the same kind of thing. Why do I have to see my parents naked? You know kind of thing. It's just, right. It was, just, so, it was, so a, it was so strange to like me. Like when it's too much, like almost like they're making a point because were were they raised that way or no? Um, the two totally different cultures, you know, one, mm-hmm. uh, actually both fairly reserved, but uh, I think that uh, they're both kind of rebels. They sort of re- rebelled against their, you know, my, my dad was Greek, Australian mother, English, Canadian. Uh, they both passed on now, so I probably don't mind talking about it as much. Um, but, mm-hmm. uh, you know, and they were reserved Canadian, reserved Australian. But, you know, I just, uh, like I say, being the rebels that they were, that's kind of how it worked out. Well, sometimes kids pick up, or not sometimes, kids pick up on really well, like unspoken words and energy. Okay. So you can take a child and put them in a culture that does that freely and never thinks a thing of it, and they've always done that, and the child will feel very at ease and natural. And then you can put a child with adults who are just embracing this um, feeling of nudity, just embracing, they're sort of pushing back against their upbringing. Yes, I want to show you so you feel free. Kids pick up on that it's... They pick right. up on all these nuances that it's not, it's not a natural thing. It's not a, mm-hmm. it's not like, it's, I don't know. They pick up on that. So you may have picked up on a little bit of internal conflict they still had inside, honestly. Well, they got divorced. Um, <laughs> you know, something was wrong. But I was just thinking, like, if the yeah. family's changing, if there's only one place to change when you're going swimming, I understand that. Yeah. You know, you do your thing, yeah. everybody gets changed, you know, hop in your swimsuits and off you go. But, yeah. you know, there's, there's, there's all these different degrees. This is where I think it gets complicated. Mm-hmm. You know, so, uh, huh. Okay. That's, that's why I asked the question. Cause I, I think there are many uh, aspects to this. I think brother and sister, young age, you know, bathtub at like, you know, one or two, who cares? You know, so it's just, it, it's interesting. So that's a big distinction too, is the, is the ages at which people, so you see that the ages in different cultures and countries at which different things are happening makes a difference. Very yeah. much so. And kids, kids want huh. to be part of the culture. They They want to, they naturally want to assimilate and fit in. They don't want to be different. And so if your family is doing something radically different, just be aware mm-hmm. that there is probably going to be a level of discomfort. You know, your child's going to kind of, and that, and that's okay. We don't have to all be mainstream. Just, just be sensitive about that. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, okay. And again, um, children growing up seeing breastfeeding tend to really identify with breast. As for breastfeeding, especially like I've been part of the home. Enough for fun. I mean, every teenage well, boy knows what they're for. Like multiple I mean, breasts really. out at once, and and the mom uh, is just sitting there, and she might have a cape, she might not. But when you switch the baby to the other side, everyone's going to see. No one's staring, but it's just such a natural part of this of the homeschooling community, in particular, or mm-hmm. other communities where there's a little more natural, like like child positive. Um, but but uh, you know environment, and and it just happens really naturally and beautifully. So. But you know what's interesting is that there's breastfeeding and there's breastfeeding. There's like, you know, we, I, I guess people who are objecting to this in public think that uh, breasts are just out there completely in the open. And there's like all these different outfits, uniform things. But half the time, I don't even know if women are breastfeeding. It's just there's a kid up there, you know, up, uh, up about their chest. And, and maybe, you know, it's like it's so subtle that you don't even know most times. And it's not my business anyway. But I just find mm-hmm. it fascinating that there's, you know, the image of, well, they're breastfeeding. So there are, there are, you know, huge breasts hanging out there in public. No. You know, I think a lot of times you don't even know. You know, it's, it's hard you to someone's holding and, a kid and a, or breastfeeding. And a healthy woman, which is, interesting. A healthy woman uh-huh. is, is aware if she's at, you know, an Italian restaurant in the evening versus in her homeschool playground. 
in the homeschool community, like you meet at the playground and you, you uh-huh. let, get to let go of your stuff because everyone's so warm and accepting. So you may not be as covered um, and nobody cares. Like it's not like they're all hanging out like topless, but, but just um, the, the lack of needing to, like, it's just, especially if you have multiple children, you just don't care anymore. You're like, it's the least of your worries yeah, yeah. if someone sees well, your nipple. That's a great question, um, too. Each successive <laughs> child, do you, would you start this early? Because with the first child, you might be more reserved not to talk about body parts until their age, whatever. And then by the time you get to the fifth one, it's app, you know, hey, the fifth we've one all got them. everything. They even yeah. know they've heard you whisper about, about the oldest one who's 17 having sex with her boyfriend. They've heard you trying to cover up your conversations at night. There's no privacy anymore. <laughs> they, the youngest one is so educated that, like, uh-huh. there's nothing you can do about it. It happens very naturally, which is why I love the idea of living in community because these uh-huh. isolated nuclear families don't know what they're doing. We need our elderly. We need our children. We need our grannies and our aunts. Um, and uh-huh. when you have the more the merrier, um, this is when the child has a really natural, rich um, upbringing where there's less shame, less secrecy, less, um, mm-hmm. you know, so, so bringing back the community is, is so beneficial in many ways. Um, so regarding, I just kind of want to touch on kindergarten yeah. age only just to be more like kind of organized and scientific here. So at kindergarten to first grade, um, and, and, and one of the reasons we do this is because by the time they're in fourth grade, you're going to have the puberty conversation. And I'll tell you, oh, it's okay. much, much better for them, for the whole group, if you come to the table having already had the basics, so you're not trying to introduce body parts at grade four, their basic body parts. So because in grade four, grade four is how a old? lot of the, how well, nine, eight, ten, nine, and, and, nine, ten, and nine, I remember in, in fourth grade, I was far from developing, but we had a girl in the class, let's call her Gigi Bowers, and she had full giant breasts. She had gotten her period, and she was like, imagine being her. This was Catholic school. Nobody talked about anything, and she had to wear a bra to school, and you could see it through the white blouse. It was a big deal. Okay, so let's get rid of all that. By fourth grade, we are having full-on puberty discussions. And preferably before fourth grade, but at least by fourth grade. And so going back, if you start in kindergarten, at least naming body parts in a happy, simple way, talking about the poop comes out the anus. Um, you know, most girls have a vulva. Again, this is very gender inclusive. So um, it's very factual and accurate. It's not saying all. It's not saying it's saying most. And you introduce the idea that there's variation also. Um, without hammering it into their heads, you know, gender, gender. You don't have to do that in kindergarten. You can just say there's body parts that mostly just girls have and body parts that mostly just boys have. And we usually cover these with clothing or a bathing suit, and sometimes we call them private parts or genitals. And we're going to make sure everyone knows the correct names for these parts today and who has what body part. And you go from there, and you can have slides and um, discussion about, you know, pee and poop coming out and the uh, – uh, a person with a vulva. You can say a person with a vulva. It doesn't mean you're saying everyone should be transgender. It's just acknowledging well, I was just thinking about the natural variation. The potential, we have. Mm-hmm. the potential for for getting a political agenda into this conversation is huge, and this is why I asked with, that question yeah. earlier mm-hmm. about about the idea of of people that might have past uh, traumas that uh, they want to keep separate from this situation. I remember having a teacher in college that. Uh, you know, came after me because I was a guy and she first day of class and I'm a <laughs> radical lesbian feminist and, uh, you know, didn't oh, quite say the women so are going to get better grades, but the women all got better grades. I mean, that was pretty obvious. Anyway, I'll, I'll tell you that horrible. story sometime. 
Yeah, it is. And, and but, I don't uh, believe any educator should not have gone through a psychological evaluation, especially someone who's teaching young children. So I feel like the standards for teachers in this, yeah. in this country might be kind of low in some ways. Mm. But, um, okay, yeah. so, yeah, so for kindergarten, it's a beautiful way to sit to, and also parents can opt out of this, um, mm. or you can send the curriculum home and, and, and just tell parents, this is the reason we do it, and here's the evidence, and, um, you know, do it in your own way, but here's the goals. And you can do a parent education seminar first, and it's, there's really great well, ones should, out there. Well, the parents should probably see the class. I, I was just mm, thinking, so we don't how, want parents how sitting in the class, and there's a reason. They're not sitting in the class, sitting, but they should see the yeah. class. You should teach the parents yeah. the class the year before the kids get the class. So in Isn't other that words, lovely? Yeah. There'd, there'd be an idea. So you preview it. And I'll tell you why that would be important. Because you don't want a parent thinking, you know, how much of a, a transition to say, well, here's your male parts and here's your female parts. And by the way, if you decide that you're not male and female, you can change those parts with each other. I mean, it's so not that big so a jump to do that. this curriculum I have, which my curriculum is gold, and it came from 2018. Okay. <laughs> and it's so already and it doesn't need to be changed at all and so i agree with you a parent seminar prior to um mm-hmm. is, is is if you can do that especially um, so there's government grant schools can get but that's a really golden beautiful idea here's yeah. the program here's when a parent's night with snacks and here's mm-hmm. our facilitator going to tell you what we're learning and not for the you kids can opt out. just for the parents opt, no, so the parents can parents ask questions can opt, yeah. Yeah. opt out of any of this we're going to record it so if you can't make it we can send you a recording of it. Um, mm-hmm. You can watch, you know, or listen to in the car. And then if you have any questions, um, we have a team that can field them for you or whatever. But um, this is what we're doing. You can opt out. But we feel it's really important for your child's safety and health to get this information. And, um, okay. and then part of a great program also that I love is you send questions home. You have, like, a teeny tiny bit of homework where they get to check in on values with their parents. So, we, we're not Ooh, yeah, okay. Values. All right, we're my, not my, my red values. flags are waving. <laughs> my red flags are waving okay. right again because mm-hmm. the values mm-hmm. of the parents might be different than the values of the school. And I think a lot of times, especially Christian parents, conservative parents, mm-hmm. um, might have very Absolutely. different ideas than your, you know, borderline Marxist, you know, local government school would have. And that's okay because you know? guess what? We're not here to change the values of the family. We're here to okay, provide good. scientific information that's uh-huh. beneficial for the child to make good choices and have body ownership. And yeah. so, um, so I, my job is literally just to, in a gentle, fun way, talk about the body parts, what they're for. And then, and no, I agree with that. Get, uh, that, get that the children accurate and then send home, yeah. send home yeah. any values. So, Hey, um, you know, I don't know. I can't think of a question for this right now because I'm. I can just think of a five-year-old trying to going to dinner. We talked about penises today in school. It was great. I mean, just see that at family dinner. And the family would know that. The family would would know that today was the day. Uh, So expect some some questions about that. And here are some discussion points you can have if you're not sure what to say. Just listen Uh, and say, "Oh, that's so interesting. What did you think? Did you have any other questions?" And um, so. You, they can, let's see, they could, okay, so one homework assignment, and this might be fun, uh-huh. is, um, you know, celebrating your family and uh, drawing, you know, a gingerbread drawing and, um, you know, their likes and dislikes and what their values are. And so uh-huh. just kind of being an, an inclusive family homework assignment is kind of fun. Yeah. But um, 
See, the younger yeah, brothers so, and sisters so, that learn the words earlier, would you bring them up at dinner just for their own amusement? I would have. Yes, they will. And that's a great dinner conversation, too. What are all the words huh? you've heard for your vulva? Oh, wow. What about that one? What about that one? Mm. And why might we not use those words? What guy wants to say penis? It already sounds tiny. You know, it's a terrible word. <laughs> we, we need much better word. Vulva. That's hard to say. It's got too many V's in it. How come all the women words have V's in them? Vagina, vulva. Mm. Just, I don't know who made up these. I want to know who made up these words. So if you ever want to do an etymology sometime and find out who came up with the word penis. Is it like Latin? <laughs> is it Greek? I mean, where does this word come from? You know, vagina. Well, Sounds why like is Virginia. it important to know the correct names for the body parts, though? Because we want a universal name well, that everyone understands. No, I understand and, that. I want to know where the names yeah. came from. I want to know where in antiquity did this come from? Who thought of these words? These are not easy to say words. These are these are strange words. Oh, well, a lot of the slang words. A lot of the slang words have a have a negative connotation, also, and so um, it's a, it's energetically some of the slang words actually create shame and negativity, and right. they can really um, offend some people. So it's good for kids to know that 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 hmm. you know. Some of the slang words are not very nice, <laughs> and that's the fact. So, and that also that they can explain to you know a nurse or a parent or right. a caregiver exactly what's wrong. Yeah, this is your huh. body. You have a right to know what the parts are called. They have a right to know what the body parts. Oh, I know are that. No, I understand. I, yeah, wait, I understand yeah. all the logic of all that. I know you don't that's, like that's the not what I'm questioning. <laughs> <laughs> like I say, it's, it's you know, there's got to be a better word for, for guys. And so you're we, trying we need to some, change our language. <laughs> you bet. Well, and I normally don't because I usually like to keep the language consistent. Uh, you know, like like marriage, for example, should mean what it what is always meant. Um, that's that's how I feel about that. But uh, oh, so mm-hmm. oh, okay, all right. So yeah, Mark, only if you don't like the word, Greg. Of, I'm just kidding. What, what, what do you mean only? You're like language shaming me now. You. <laughs> I know. Oh, no. I can tell, what is I can tell by the tone of your voice. Yeah, no, it's funny. I can tell you. <laughs> no, I don't mind. I mean, I understand, but sometimes yeah. our language shifts a little, as long as it's really for the benefit. Well, like gay. Um, you know, gay used to. I mean, the gay nineties is not when people were all gay. You know, I mean, the words changed dramatically over time. But it's kind of interesting. But the science words, I understand the consistency of science words. I just want to know who came up with them because they sound terrible. They're hard mm, to say. That's not it. Fun. I have to research that separately. Can we yeah, talk yeah. about one more great kindergarten lesson that I love? Absolutely. I think you'll love it too. Go okay. I think you're going to like <laughs> this one. So, because mm-hmm. not everything is about vulva and penis. So, really important to, to establish um, really positive, feel good messages about community, values, mm-hmm. bodies differences and similarities this all mm-hmm. makes for a very rich feeling of of others and yourself right so um another great kindergarten lesson is about touch and um you can put parents or caregivers or facilitators can make a list of a lot of different physical words like hugging kissing tickling holding hands pushing scratching shoving um walking arm in arm, I mean, you could think of a million, right? And Mm -hmm. you take the children through a process of talking about people's bodies, um, asking a question like, you know, whose head is this? And they get to shout out mine and going to the body parts and then talking about um, self-love, like giving yourself a big hug and how wonderful your body is. And then reaffirming for them that that's your body and you have the right to say whether and how you want someone else to touch you. 
Mm-hmm. And so that means we need to listen and stop touching others when someone else says they don't want to be touched. That's a really early, great lesson. In fact, that can start in preschool, but I won't go into that right now. Um, very simple preschool stuff that kids love. But, um, and then you can ask them, you know, any exceptions to that. Like, and I don't personally feel this should be an exception, but if you want to be inclusive to all the values of, of a group, you might ask, you, you might have some parents that say, well, the doctor gets to give you a shot or the doctor is going to examine you. Like, you know, some parents will say, well, you're going to take this medicine, whether you like it or not. So there's times, you know, when you're parenting a child that they, there might be a little wiggle room here. And, and that's an important part of the discussion, too. But, um, and then you explain how everyone feels differently about how they like to be touched, right? I may not love to give a hug, but your friend may love hugs. I may not want to snuggle, but you have family that might want to snuggle. I might not like to wrestle, but you might have a brother that loves to wrestle. So how do we kind of look at that, talk to each other about what we like and don't like, and create boundaries? Yeah. And then what there's are you some young great kids exercises. Mm-hmm. Some young kids are real huggy. They just, they, they're in a huggy they family. Should, yeah. Everybody hugs. And they start hugging kids mm-hmm. in school. And, 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 and like a, the six-year-old says, you, you touch me inappropriately. And the kid's like, what? What are you talking about? Okay, you because know, we're doing this in kindergarten. Ideally, we're doing this in uh-huh. kindergarten, this lesson, this lesson. Right. And you give the children the skills, and they're so proud of it. At this age, you can do one class on this, and all of a sudden you'll see, I don't want a hug. Can we shake hands instead? Sure. I don't like wrestling. Stop. Let's go play Legos instead. And, and, and then you give the wrestling child who actually has that body need a place to go. You give them a corner and a mat and maybe a big stuffed bear, and you let them wrestle if they're, you know. I mean, so meeting the needs of everybody. In a, <laughs> yeah. Well, yes, and I agree with that, and I would do that in my in my situation but but there's a safety issues and liability issues in the public school system or private school system so you can't really let them do that wait a minute when when i got to australia here's here's a little australian stuff when i got to australia (laughs) uh, and this is really fun because australians are really competitive okay so coming from from rather peaceful canada the first thing i had to do was was fight every kid in the class not Mm. not but we had to wrestle. It was like a, it was like a, it was like a pecking order thing. So they had to find out what, where I was in the order. I did pretty well actually. It was kind of, now, kind of how cool. old were you? Uh, eight. Oh, oh my god! Wow, it was fun. I loved it. I, was it, it was bonding. Okay. See, Not every eight-year-old that, would find that fun. But, it, you know. but and, I, and I was a foreigner in the country. Don't forget, I came from Canada, so I'm already a stranger in, in, in this country. Where everybody's like, "G'day, how's it going, mate?" And I'm like, "Oh, I'm from Canada. I speak differently than you do." You know, and so I'm already different. <laughs> there was like one of the Canadians yeah. in school. But, that but must that, have been but, a little traumatic for you. Well, now here's, here's another. No, it wasn't traumatic at all. It was hysterical. I, I loved it. It was great fun because I knew the spirit of what was going on. It wasn't like they were – now in the United States, everybody was like, you know, much different, much more harsh. They, they couldn't stand the fact that I was there, that I was different, that I – you know, and it was really interesting. Uh, the two different countries and the attitudes. But in Australia, I wrestled everybody. All, now, here's the thing, too. Now, this is an all-boys school, right? And so I wasn't, like, wrestling girls, although that would have been an interesting thought. But uh, I'm just thinking, too, you know, there's a time, too, when, when uh, boys and girls don't care about boys and girls, then they like to be with their, their own sex, and they're, like, you know, mixing again, I guess, puberty. It's like, oh, see, where have you been the last, you know, couple of years? Um, well, that's there's a natural division, and there's also an unnatural, and a lot of facilitators create an unnatural division at a young age, Ooh, which I think is a little work? damaging. So they use, and you're, you may not like this. Yeah. I'm going to just say it. Go when ahead. they're little and you always say, oh, the boys are over there, the girls are over here, 
I, my favorite programs for small children, say the friends. The friends the, you have some friends over here doing this. You have some children over here doing this. Oh, because when you start pointing out, when you start pointing mm-hmm. out physical differences as a way to separate, um, mm-hmm. ch- young children begin to divide themselves early. Now, there might be benefit to that. There might be a lot of people who say, you know what, I want them to. I want my boy or my girl to, from an early age, segregate herself. And um, know that she's a girl, really only play with girls, and know that boys are a foreign entity. So if that's your value <laughs> system, then that's cool. No, no, it's fine. I mean, I'm not saying it's right or wrong. No, no, it's just yeah. It's not yeah. my value system. My value system is allow them to start to do that on their own. And, again, great, healthy conversation. Um, great education, they will understand their differences biologically. But pointing out similarities much more than differences is very mm-hmm. healthy um, for Makes children, sense. especially yeah. especially early ages. Yeah. Was yours so, the same sex anyway. school? Your Catholic school was that same sex, or was that uh, boys and girls? Uh, no, it was co-ed. Uh-huh. Okay. It was co-ed, oh. and I find yeah. that without great education, that can be very distracting at a certain age, right? You what, same sex school, uh, or co-ed school? Well, yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But uh, mm-hmm. yeah. well, it's interesting because I went from a co-ed school in Canada to a same-sex school in Australia because it was a private school. Most of the schools were, you know, boys and girls. Uh, and then I guess they, in fact, my old school has mixed now. It's kind of interesting. But back in the United States, then I went back to a co-ed school. You know, so from government school to private school, back to government school, same sex, from, you know, mixed to be- same to back again. It was really quite You've interesting. Done all my, school, of it. my education's all <laughs> over the map. Oh, it's incredible. You're, a, you're but, an expert on this. <laughs> yeah, well, yeah, but the, but, but the wrestling thing, maybe because it was an all-boys school, that we just had to test each other, kind of like Lord of the Flies mm. kind of situation. So do you find that, that, uh, uh, that there's a natural separation at some point in schools anyway? Instead of saying the boys are here and the girls there, that the boys and girls naturally play together. Boys will do more sports stuff. Girls will do more girls stuff is that if you and, I feel and, like if you have a health if you have a healthy conversation um, uh-huh. with children starting at an early age and you use very inclusive terms and you also use facts like my I have three boys and they did enjoy watching construction sites and building things and pulling things apart and uh-huh. using sticks and beating trees and throwing rocks more more than their girlfriends. They, they, we watched, we would sit there and watch them all play. They enjoyed those things more naturally without me doing a thing. And I didn't do a thing. I was all about um, nurture. I thought it was all nurture back then when they were really little. Um, mm-hmm. And so you can say that. You can say, well, you know, they're going to hear the word he. You can say, you know, it's going to happen naturally. You can't completely erase all of the um, gender words and gender gender differences. But why and would like, you want to? Oh, Fiona says to Canon, help me organize my shoes. Now, she didn't have that many words. She was very young, but like shoes. And Canon ignores her and she screams at him and he's trying to build something. And, you know, my friend was a child um, interventionist with psychology degree and she would say, Fiona, look at his face. He doesn't want to. Why don't you wait or ask him, would you like to do this or this? And, and then she would tap him on the shoulder, get his attention. That's a great tool to tap, especially, I don't want to be sexist, especially boys who tend to be very streamlined in their focus, which is a great advantageous gift. However, when a woman's trying to speak to them or a girl, sometimes they don't hear. Um, so the shoulder tap is nice. Tell what you're saying. Then, <laughs> Tell what you're saying, right? I got news here. We, we can be very selective. You think we're not listening? We're yeah. Listening. But we're Absolutely. making decisions is, as to essential uh, and it's not. part of yeah. the masculine genius. It's part of the masculine genius, and it's essential for our survival. It should never be criticized. 
However, well, sometimes you want to be heard. <laughs> do men have a stronger self-preservation in, in terms of that? I mean, now that you think about it, I think I think we might be more naturally wired. Women might be more uh, needing more reinforcement, and guys might be more naturally self-preserving. Well, this comes down to being able to focus on the task at hand that must be accomplished while knowing that you have your feminine creatures all around you. They're going to attend to the children and the cooking and all the other multitasking things that need to happen. And you Mm -hmm. are going to kill that intruder. You are going to get that meat. And all of your attention must be on the immediate survival of the big task at hand that's going to require all your muscles and all your mental focus, after which you will come relax, go brain dead. Nowadays, it's watching stupid TV or it's, you know, whatever, <laughs> playing fantasy football. It doesn't matter. But, huh. um, but that's so part of the that, male huh? flow. Women, it's not women that we have can't. trouble focusing. We're just, it is, it's of... feminine energy. It's the feminine brain, the feminine okay. body. So um, it's not that we can't. It's just, and especially with our culture, we absolutely have geared ourselves to be able to do that to some degree. But if we're really thinking into our feminine energy and being super blissful and happy, most of us, that's not really how we operate. We multitask, we're chaotic, we rest by self-care and talking, 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 sharing, 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 (laughs) and and doing things together, like five things at once. (laughs) Okay, Um, no, that makes sense. Okay, but yeah, yeah, it's lovely. Okay, so let's get back. I like being able to focus. (laughs) She's going to be for this radio show. This lesson (laughs) is so lovely because... Because uh-huh. this lesson of body ownership and how does my body like to be touched, we can, we can imagine if we uh-huh. got that lesson at five years old where my, uh-huh. all my friends are standing up and, and she says, okay, who likes wrestling? Put your arms in the air and wiggle your fingers. Who likes hugging? Put your arms in the air. And if you don't like this thing, put your hands down by your sides and wiggle your fingers. If you kind of uh-huh. like it sometimes, put your hands out to the side and wiggle your fingers. And we go through in this body movement. Also, you know, I teach somatic movement therapy to women. This body movement at age five, I get to celebrate what I like and don't like. Try it right now, Greg. Throw your arms out to the side, straight arms, and wiggle your fingers and say, sometimes I like shoving. I don't know. Whatever it is you sometimes like. Sometimes I like (laughs) flying upside down really fast. There we go. And do you always like doing that or do you just sometimes like doing that? If you always like doing it, you throw your arms in the air and you wiggle your fingers way up high over your head. Oh, I did that. I did my finger waving okay, and stuff like that. But yeah, I do like and flying so, upside down real fast. It's fun. Doesn't that feel celebratory? You can say, I love flying upside down and throw your arms in the air and wiggle your No, I, I like actually but, doing it, though. See, <laughs> that's the difference. I think it's right? a guy thing. We, we, see, so it's one thing to talk about it, but I think guys would like to actually do it. I want to okay, be on that, that racing sailboat. I want, I mean, we're talking, okay. Right, but we're uh, listen, about I like airplanes. Children. No, that's when I, that's when okay. I discovered airplanes at five years old. So you know, my first airline so, flight, I thought, I want to do this. In a classroom setting, at mm-hmm. five years old, mm-hmm. this exercise is very empowering. And mm-hmm. they don't know they're being empowered, but they have a wonderful feeling. They're gleeful. They're happy. Now they have claimed and identified what kind of touching they like. Kissing. You know, and by five years old, in our culture, you're going to get the boys going, ew, ew. They're already going to do that. But um, <laughs> and it's kind of cute. And that's okay. But and then you might say, we, we get over oh, that, what if, but, what you if your mom you know. comes up and kisses you on the cheek? Do you sometimes like that after? And then we say, oh, okay. Yeah, I guess I like that. Okay. Okay. Then maybe put your arms to the side and wiggle your fingers, you know? And so discussions, discussions, right? But after this exercise, we go through all the physical ways we can touch each other, both rough, silly, affectionate. Mm-hmm. Um, they come away from that 
not only understanding that they're allowed to choose, but also you give them a language. What you do, what do you do when you don't like that? What do you do when someone wants to do that and you don't like it? And you give them words and actions they can take. And if that doesn't work, the next step, which is a safe adult, a trusted adult. And um, then you begin to teach them, you know, huh, how does that feel in your body when that happens? Yeah, that doesn't feel good, does it? You give them words to process it, and then you give them an actionable thing they can do right. to empower themselves and keep themselves safe. And it's amazing when you do this program with kids. They will not only do it for themselves, they'll do it for others. And they'll hmm. take that through their life. And by the time you're in puberty and you're in middle school teaching about sex and um, consent, they, it's, a, it's, a, it's like a, a language to them that they're so familiar with, you know? Hmm. Makes sense. How many, um, or what Isn't percentage that beautiful? of them? It is. Uh, no, I'll, I get this so is, excited this great, about this. I know, I can tell. <laughs> I can tell you've also taught many of these classes. Um, so uh, that's it. wonderful. Uh, how many, what percentage of men teach this class and what, what percentage of men help develop this program? I'm curious. I bet Isn't you they're both very low percentages. Yeah. It is. In this program, it is very low. And I feel like that's, there's one, there's a few reasons, in my opinion. One, is that our country tends to be like very gender segregated. So Uh um, if you look at the nursing profession, I was a nurse. They would beg Uh male nursing students to come in. They would give full scholarships to male nursing students because it was considered a more female profession and and the balance wasn't there. We, We know we have wonderful male teachers. It tends to be a more feminine energy um, strength in certain topics. I'm going to say in certain Uh topics, not in all topics. Um, we've had amazing male teachers in, for us, we've had them in math. We've had them in survival skills. We've had them in Taekwondo and kickboxing. Um, if I think of a male teacher we've had in a non-traditional male thing, I am coming short here. Yeah, I think we've had one literature or English teacher that was male. Um, I think that like, like anything, there's crossover, but I think there's something feminine energies are a little more pulled towards. Sociology. Did did you ever have a male professor in sociology when you took that in college? You must've taken it sometime. Yes, I did. And I can't, I cannot remember. Um, Social studies, we had a male professor. He was hilarious. Um, He was very talented. Social studies and history in fifth grade, but yeah, I don't know. Mm. The, the reason I yeah, ask so my question, do we need it, it one sounds like a very yeah. like female-oriented program that you're teaching. I'm not saying that's wrong. Um, I'm just saying I yeah. notice a very strong feminine uh, influence in this program. Mm-hmm. I don't. So let's think about nature. Let's let's go back to the village, Greg. Um, okay. If you back like the village. village, I love the village. I'm I not putting anyone in a gender box, but I love the village. And who would be with Wait a minute. What do you mean not putting Both. in a gender box? Does that mean you, if, you, if you're male, you're not male? If you're female, <laughs> you're not female? I'm not saying that this is how Those it Those are the two genders. I am saying, okay. I'm saying if you go back to the village, the campfire, um, the community living, Kumbaya, who's most likely. Kumbaya. I'm sorry, go ahead. Greg, who's most likely to be caring for young children, young children hmm. and interacting with them? And the answer is women. Mothers. Nine to twelve year old girls, <laughs> um, seven to ten year old boys, and, 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 and the elderly and the elderly. And there is a natural flow to that. Not that it has to be this way, not that we don't have crossover. As you get into middle school and high school, however, having a masculine, strong masculine influence in sex ed is important 
and I would almost say vital um, and, and very underdone, very underdone to answer yeah. your question. We need it. Yes. You know, it's Stepping interesting. Uh, you get your certification? No, I'm still here. no, no, no. I was just, I was just typing bye to everyone because we're about to lose our, uh, our folks on live chat. Um, it's interesting that when I went to my school in Australia, all the teachers were male, all the students were male, all the sex ed mm-hmm. teachers were male also because it was all, it was an all male school. So profound male influence. So it's been mm-hmm. interesting in my life to have, you know, male teachers at a, at a younger age, uh, male Boy Scout leaders, you know, I was surrounded by older men. And so I learned, you know, fathers, so friends of mine, I would spend time with. So I got a really strong, um, upbringing or, or being raised around guys, especially since my own dad was not, my own father was not the most participating dad in the world. You know, he had his, his own uh, different issues, but it's interesting that uh, I'm just, I'm just curious because this is such a, no, I think it seems a like a feminine program. Yeah. That's a very uh-huh. good point. And I want to throw in that in homeschooling my kids, even from a young mm-hmm. age, I made sure we had male teachers. What was I good. able to find great male teachers in math, survival skills, sports, Taekwondo. Um, weaponry. What was so, the other one? Yes, weaponry. <laughs> there, it was quite a lot, and I can't think of it all right now. But it was very yeah. important to me, especially having boys, that they saw they had a uh-huh. lot of different men that they could see as role models for education and support. That being yeah. said, at the young age, there are some topics and some things. Um, where women do great, and all the children respond really well to that fun feminine energy. So mm-hmm. um, I don't know that this program is feminine per se. I would say that yeah, I feel that by the time we're <laughs> it definitely to, is. Well, but that's well, not we bad. haven't that's got just, to middle school. Just, we haven't got to middle school and high school. Okay. Yeah, I don't know what Next that week? means. In what way is it feminine? Maybe it's just the way I talk. Um, it's just the the orientation because it, it's it's like how a woman would talk and a woman would teach it and a woman would describe it. I think a guy would talk mm. about this differently. Um, it's okay. just an impression because you know. How. Uh, um, I don't know. I'd have to think about that because I've mm-hmm. raised the issue now, so I'm kind of stuck with it. But I think, um, mm-hmm. you know, especially I think that the touching thing is the one about being inappropriately touched. I think, uh, you know, guys, we like being touched by women all the time. Hugs, not a problem. Whereas women. A five-year-old? Find, think, Are you talking uh, about a five-year-old? A five-year-old is yeah, very different. different yeah. So we're talking, right. this program I talked about today is for five-year-olds. It changes right. drastically by the time yeah. we're in middle and high school. And it's yeah. very intentional. So maybe we'll get to that on later shows. But no, this five-year-olds is, this don't yeah. always like – there are five-year-olds that like to wrestle. But many five-year-olds, five-year-old boys even, you know, they, they want to be asked. They want a word to say when they're done. So if someone's pinning them down and they can't breathe, they need a word to say, hey, I'm done. Mm-hmm. And they need to be listened to. So that's kind of what you give a five-year-old, you know. Yeah, that makes sense, especially uh, kids, you know, the younger brothers and sisters would learn all kinds of stuff much earlier, I think, as far as all this goes, you know, like, because they have older brothers immediately, you know, trying to wrestle more as the oldest one. Younger brothers can be very bullied, and that can be very traumatic, and part of this program for kindergarten and first grade actually addresses Mm -hmm. that. What can you do when your brother's in it? What can you do? Um, And, of course, I didn't go into all of it. It's a very rich program, but... Um, right. absolutely gives, gives a younger one words to say and actions to take to get mm. out of that situation, which they deserve. Mm. Yeah. What do the older ones say I, but I'm when, curious. When the younger ones are taking advantage of their victim status in younger age? <laughs> then what do you do? Um, say mm. it again. Oh, I think that now you have, you have a balance here. You have an adult that understands it. 
I don't, mm-hmm. I don't know how much that younger one actually takes advantage of victim status unless they're rewarded somehow. <laughs> Personal experience. Unless yeah. they're rewarded for, um, for tattling. Unless they're yeah. rewarded for, for, you know, not handling it themselves. So a great parenting program will teach children how to not only will empathize with their situation, but then put it back on them and teach them how to be empowered, right? And to teach them. Um, but, you know, then it requires teaching the other siblings in the family what is absolutely not acceptable and, and holding to those standards, you know? Yeah. yeah. One last question. Uh, yeah. Just oh, yeah, I have to run. Oh, my goodness. I, I have know you someone have to run. picking so... me up in a big truck to take me to oh. get an armoire that I love, and I'm very excited about that because I don't what? have a big truck of any kind. What's I'm going an to get an armoire. What is that? Um, <laughs> it's a type of wardrobe with drawers as well as a hanging, like a wooden standalone. It has drawers as well as a hanging area. And I'm putting it in my oh. youngest son's bedroom. He's got a really adorable bedroom, and I found one that fits perfectly. Does he know what an armoire is? <laughs> Probably now because I've talked about it so much for a month. I'm looking for armoires. Where's my armoire? I need an armoire. Um, so I finally found one, and my friend with a big truck is going to come and take me to get it. He probably thought you said like, armor, and he's expecting a knight suit to come. <laughs> uh, complete so with mace and sword. Hey, where's well, the armor? Mommy, you said we were going to get armor. <laughs> this is an armor. <laughs> I don't have All right. Is. I've loved talking to you. This has been one of my favorite shows, one of my favorite topics, and I think we probably will get into middle school or um, later. And, and you're you're going to feel better Adult about day. the masculine oh. essence of the yeah. program, I hope. <laughs> I feel fine about it, but but you know it, it's kind of like my job to point out when I when I feel like it's it's getting feminine, especially the the touchy feely stuff and not wanting it. Um, I just I thought mm-hmm, I was like mm-hmm. this is definitely female oriented. That was just the impression mm-hmm. I got. Yeah. Well, yeah, well, you know, I love talking to you, to... even if we don't <laughs> agree on everything. You know, oh, oh, I'm being, I'm being sensitive. Okay, see, if I was a woman, being sensitive would be a good thing. But because I'm a guy being sensitive, huh? you judge me for being sensitive. Wow, oh, Lord, no, I don't. I, I love it. I love yeah. it. I don't think you're being sensitive. I think it's, I think it's food for thought. I'm going to self-promote okay. right now, real quick, before I hang up. Please. Um, Facebook, Dorothy Diana, and also my new page because I'm finally getting a little business-oriented. Um, Yoni Yoon, Y-O-N-I-Y-U-N. I teach mm-hmm. women um, delicious, yummy, sensual, healing, somatic movement, trauma-informed sexual healing dance, and it's very fun and addictive and transformative, and I also do teach sex ed, but only by request, groups of six or more, and that's about it. My website is yoniyoon.com. I think you said that. That's okay. I, I love oh, our my, conversation. My Facebook uh, page is Yoni Yoon, oh, and then my website we go. is yoniyoon.com. Okay, better make that clear. Yeah. Thank you for another fascinating conversation that so took me away from uh, the politics. I'd completely forgotten about it until I just reminded myself. But, yeah, I'll go deal with that. But the, you're like my escape for the week because we get to explore things that I, I – yeah, I've tried – well, and I'm going to talk about this next time too is that the, the whole idea of an extended family that kids will say things to grandparents and uncles and you know, aunts that they wouldn't say to their own parents because it might be embarrassing. So that's one of the beauties of, I think, an extended family. But uh, we get into things here I never expected to talk about on the radio. It's probably why I like it. <laughs> I reveal way too much of my personal life, but that's another story, too. That's okay. You, People want to hear it. And, and the more you yeah. talk about it, the more you give others permission to talk about it. And that's then, um, yeah, I mean, it's all the world together, turning. I think. Yeah. You, know, the, 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 you know, life doesn't stop. It's just because you get a little personal. But, you know, okay. So thanks for the. If, uh, everyone, had, if yeah. everyone had great sex and intimate relationships, there'd be a lot less war and struggle because people would be happy and satisfied. They wouldn't want to leave home. They would just go to work, make their money, come home, and snuggle. Yep. 
That'd be a great topic. That goes well, what you remember what you first said about having a have a naturally strong sex drive uh, or, or, or strong feelings. I want to talk about that because yeah. I wonder if that makes a difference all, all through life. There's, write that down. That's a whole show, show topic right there. It's That's so interesting. I love it. Yeah. yeah, let's do that. Okay. I think it was kind of the same way. <laughs> That's why I'm curious. Thank you, Dorothy. Until next yeah. week. Yeah. Goodbye. Have a great week. Thank you. Have a great too. All right. See you later. Enjoy your coffee shops. <sighs> that was fun. <laughs> I love talking to Dorothy. All right. Let's, uh, I got to play a few announcements because we've been so busy with uh, all the other stuff we've been covering today. Um, that um, Let me play you a, a thoroughly masculine commercial. <laughs> And I'll go to the other stuff, and I'll see you all tomorrow morning at 7 a.m. Central Time. A very special guest tomorrow, Naomi Wolf, in the third hour, 9 a.m. Central Time. And Naomi Wolf's going to be on. So I get to read up on her for the next uh, several hours and get ready for that tomorrow. But uh, until then, thank you very much, and I'll see you tomorrow, 7 a.m. Central, when we do it all again. Well, that sounds good. Even better. Okay, how about your car? If you want the best service for your vehicle, please talk to James at Florida Stores Automotive, conveniently located at 6715 Caroline Street in the historic district of Milton, Florida, right between the Milton Bakery and the Blackwater Trail. Whether you need an oil change or an entire engine replaced, this is the place. The phone number is 850-623-6651. That's 850-623-6651. Call, ask questions, and get the information you need. Florida Stores Automotive is a full-service automotive shop for both domestic and imports, modern and classic. It is a family-owned business here in our Milton community. Open weekdays from 7.30 to 5 p.m., Florida Stores Automotive is a convenient place to keep your car maintained and on the road. Ask them about Firestone Tires and the rotation and maintenance plan. Florida Stores Automotive. I go there. You should, too. Do you know your way around healthcare, insurance, pharmacies, surgery, alternative treatments and choices? I don't. Which is why I'm so glad I met Priscilla Romans, had her on Action Radio, and learned about health patient advocacy. She is the founder of Great Care. And now as an affiliate of Great Care, we are proud to offer through our discount code, WYL, which stands for Write Your Laws, a 10% discount. Great Care saves you both time and money. They provide medical advocacy, consultation, advice, and recommendations nationwide. Their website is greatcare.com. That's G-R-A-I-T-H-Care.com. You can email them at greatcare.adm at gmail.com or call them at 469-864-7149. That's 469-864-7149. Great Care, better health through better knowledge and advocacy. This is Greg Penglis for Strike Force, your source for pure energy. Strike Force is a concentrated energy drink that turns a half liter of your favorite beverage into an energy drink. You make your energy drink yourself. Action Radio is an affiliate of Strike Force, so our listeners get a 20% discount. All you do is add our code WYL to the discount code window at checkout 
W-I-L, comes from our website, Write Your Laws. So, you can get your energy drink, a 20% discount, and help Action Radio change the relationship of we the people to our government. Not bad. Strikeforce is at StrikeforceEnergy.com. That's StrikeforceEnergy.com. Start your engine. This is Greg Penglis. So what is Action Radio? It is a radio show with its own citizen legislature. That's you, the listener. It is a fully interactive system of listeners, expert guests, social media, writing bills, legislator input, bill submission, lobbying, and citizen action. Action Radio is the future of talk radio using all the available technology in one completely integrated new system. You are listening to Action Radio Online with Greg Penglis. The webpage for all Action Radio shows and podcasts is blogtalkradio.com slash citizenaction. Please share our show with all your friends and family, both nationally and internationally. The guiding principle of Action Radio is this. We the people give our consent to be governed through writing the laws by which we are governed. Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. <gasps> no, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.